Hello and welcome to the No Cap Podcast, episode six. I'm here with Minia. Hello. Live from Sicily. Yes, with the mafia behind me. Yeah. Not really. Okay. And <laughs> and Assad, we're in Milton. <laughs> Straight out the basement, boy. <laughs> Yo, with his ethnic carpet. Yo, for real, Assad, you have you have uh, the definitive immigrant basement, man. <laughs> Unfinished. Uh, that, all my walls that, that pink, pink stuff, baby. That pink stuff on the wall. That Pepto-Bismol um, insulation. Yikes. Hey, but we got energy saver bulbs, so we that, live in. That is, that's the right way to live. Hold on, explain the, the context of why you're lying on the floor with that raggedy towel behind you. So the towel I don't know about. I assume my sister just left it here after drying her hair. Mm. It's fine. But I am on the ground. Well, I was on the ground stretching my back out. Because I'm very much 2018, 2019 Kyle Lowry. That's unfortunate. Yeah. I had to shovel snow for like 10 minutes, so. I'm not even going to lie. I might trust you to hit an open jumper more than Kyle at this point. Oh, shit. No, nah, Asad's good, though. He, he, he can shoot. Oh, really? I didn't. I had no idea of his playing abilities. Okay. Yeah, I'll be very honest, though. Yesterday, I did play ball, and I was playing with a bunch of kids who thought they were James Harden. Literally okay. every single shot they took was a step back. It That's... was unnecessary. I gave, I gave <laughs> an open three. He had an open three, and he decided to dribble into a step back three. That's and I did not understand it. But I did pass up shots. Wow. Like Kyle Lowry. Wow. Could not make open shots. <laughs> oh come on. Yeah, I mean, as it turns out, playing with a bad back is is not uh, it's not conducive. But look, listen, we're not here to talk about Kyle at least until the end of the show. Uh, we are here to talk about sort of our experience sort of growing up in this country as immigrants um and sort of sort of the experience with between like our own personal experience and also sort of like uh, the experience that our family went through and i guess i'll start there i mean when did you guys first come to canada and what was your first impression of canada Uh, i can start um so i kind of left like my motherland of china at a pretty young age so before i even came to canada i was in Finland, which is like an even colder place um, from when I was two to five. Okay. Um, so my life has been like a trajectory of like really cold places to gradually warmer places like Finland, Canada, New York, Seattle, San Francisco. That'll follow the trend. Um, but I was five when I first came here and I like we landed in like a neighborhood. I was like, uh, I don't know if it's typical for immigrants, but like you're on like Regent Park. It's a lot nicer now. Like it wasn't horrible back then, but it definitely wasn't like super, super nice. Mm-hmm. And my, like it was so weird. Now I just remembered that when I was visiting Toronto during Christmas, um, my mom and I like drove through that part again and I could see like our old apartment and then like the church where there were homeless people, the strip club, which I didn't know what it was before and now I know what it is. And like the corner store was still the same. It's kind of trippy, but um, my first impression was just like, this is like just a place. I feel like when you're a kid, you don't really, you don't really like have too much context to compare things to. So it was just like a new language, new people. Um, I mean, it didn't really like feel too cold because I came from an even colder place. And I remember watching Arthur and that made me feel like the world was great. So I didn't really think like anything really negatively or positively of it. It was just another place at that point in my life. I said, yeah, well, I was, I was born in Sacramento. So like oh that's right yeah so like yeah. I wasn't oh, yeah but we moved around like a ton as a kid because my dad wasn't uh, my dad was on a student visa at the time okay so like I was born in Sacramento and then like when I was one we went to Portland and then by the time I was three we when, did, when the hell did we move from there yeah basically I know I came to Canada at 
2005, we moved from Portland to uh, Medicine Hat, Alberta. Ah. Uh, which is good also old awful. Medicine Hat. Did you watch some of like, the... Each of those places was progressively... Um, actually, I don't know if they're progressively less inviting mm. because Portland, Oregon was also terrible um, back when we were living there. But yeah, it's Portland to uh, Medicine Hat, Alberta. And then we lived there three years, and then we moved. Oh, we drove all the way from there to Mississauga. Wait, how? Yeah. All right, I'm looking that up right now. That that has. Yeah, to you be... can drive it. It took. It it would have been a week's drive, but then our van broke down in. <laughs> uh, what the hell was the place? White River, Saskatchewan, or Manitoba, or Winnipeg? I forget. It's in one of the two. But they have a park there that has a Winnie the Pooh memorial. Apparently, the original <laughs> bear was from that park. Uh, fun fact: there was a there was only one mechanic in that town. Uh-huh. Super racist. Held our car for like five days. Racked up a bunch of charges. Changed a bunch of stuff that we didn't need because apparently we were just missing like a bolt or something. Yeah. Uh, and then we had to take a three-hour tow to out Sault Ste. Murray. So I guess it would have been Winnipeg to Sault Ste. Murray, where a guy fixed our van up. But yeah. So basically, when we arrived in Mississauga, we had no cash. <laughs> oh my god. We broke, but we just didn't have any cash left. <laughs> and back in like the early two thousands, it's not like you could just like get money out of a bank account that easily it had to, funds had to transfer and stuff like that yeah so anyway that was fun but yeah so i don't like have any memory of like landing here and first impressions right that said though i was like the first child and my parents were 100 percent immigrants yeah and since we moved around so much and we were in such uh, uh less inviting places for immigrants um i didn't know there were no friends or anything like that like it was just like my only friends are my parents so I grew up, like, I spoke mm-hmm. with an accent until I think I was, like, 8, 9, or 10. I think I was 10 years old, and then that's when I lost my accent. Mm. So I, spoke, I grew up here and spoke accented, accented English till like, I was 10. Yeah, I think, I think growing up, like, with your parents is, is, it is tricky because, like, I think because your parents also don't know that many other people and they aren't really that comfortable with the, the culture and stuff, like, you just end up, their first time experiencing the culture is kind of the same time as you do as well, and it's... It's almost like, I don't know, like, uh, basically, like, after coming here for, like, even, like, three, four months, I felt like I was, like, more culturally aware, and because I spoke English better than my parents, that, like, I just ended up having to be their, like, tour guide, almost, in their their Mm -hmm. first time, which is a strange thing, because usually, like, your parents are the ones that are, like, introducing you to, you know, this and that, and how to act, and, but, um, also, I just looked it up, from Medicine Hat to Square One, all right? Uh, it is a 31-hour drive. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Doable, I guess, but still. And that's real because we live. Uh, we moved to this town. Town. The townhouse complex that we lived in was a uh, 333 Meadows Boulevard. Shout out those townhomes right across from Central Parkway Mall. Uh-huh. Second Run Theaters, Geno's Pizza. I remember when that Geno's opened. Also, um, for the real ones that know, that's uh, where the spot to get your trading cards is. Untouchables, oh. baby. Untouchables. <laughs> Untouchables. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, shout out to the Yu-Gi-Oh episode. <clears throat> That's oh, all we'll man. say. That's all we'll say. Um, but uh, <laughs> deleted, deleted, deleted. I love that episode. I love that episode. I, was, though. I, was I, sa- I remember it. Sadly, one of the best ones. Um, yeah, I mean, for me personally, like I came here. So I'm. I came here when I was seven, um, and like I actually have like a lot of memories of growing up in China, and, and I think just like one day my parents were like, hey, like we're going to go to Canada. And I was like pretty excited. I was just, it just like it didn't really matter to me that I was like giving up the rest of my life. Because like when you're seven years old, like what life do you really have? You know, like I had like one friend. His name was what was it? Dafa or something like that. It was just I don't know. It's just some random kid from the, <laughs> the apartment. <laughs> compound. Dafa. Dafa. What do you mean? 
big money. Yeah, probably. Um, pretty good name. Yeah, I mean, it's that's a classic Chinese nickname, definitely. <laughs> it's very generic. It's like, yeah. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, I, I just remember, like, landing in Canada, in Vancouver. At the time, there was no direct flight from uh, Beijing to Toronto. You had to stop over in Vancouver. And, yeah, I mean, I don't know. That was, like, the first time I saw people that weren't Chinese. Like, I had never left the country before. Like, the most exotic place I'd gone to was, like, Hong Kong to get, like, a visa. Um, and Hong Kong looks a lot like <laughs> where I was from, Tianjin. So, like, I don't know. Uh, it was, yeah, it was just, it was just weird seeing, like, holy crap, there's, like, people from all over, right? Because, you know, especially at an airport, like, you really are more likely to see, you know, people in transit. And I'm like, it's the first time I saw black people. It's the first time I saw, you know, brown people. It was like, it was just, I, I, don't, I don't know. It was just basically the first, even the first time I saw white people. And I was just like, this is wild. This is actually wild. You know, I've only ever seen people like this on TV before. You know, what's so you you came from China, yeah. right? I moved here from Medicine Hat, and I had basically the same experience because I had not <laughs> seen other brown people or black people before. <laughs> so, like, I'm in class, and I'm like, "Oh my god, there's like only five white people in my class," and it blew my mind. I did not know that there were like all these like integrated communities. I just assumed that all of Canada was just like straight up white. Yeah, I mean, I think that's also how the media kind of. At the representation at the time kind of portrayed it right like outside of like entertainers and athletes like i didn't really know like what a regular black person did in america and it wasn't until i got here where, where you actually get to experience that and like I, I don't know it was just it wasn't like a, a shock necessarily but it was like i mean for you guys i guess you guys spoke english and that was like pretty quickly right yeah, I feel like still, um, like the way the media portrayed things back then was still a lot more white before like they got called out and now they can't do that anymore. Like before like things like Kim's convenience were a thing, like they became a thing because of a certain backlash. Like if you were to make friends, the TV show today, there's no way mm -hmm. that a network could get away with putting like six white people in there. Um, but well, like, yeah, for I, I don't agree. I don't they they couldn't get it. They could still they still get away with it. That show just wouldn't be successful. I don't think. Yeah, like, there would be like some like every single stuff. show that you see. Like, man, how many Netflix shows do you see right now that are just like all white casts, like with a token person thrown in there? Oh yeah, like, you're right. The token I, person. I, I I more or less ignore the first like four rows of Netflix. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like after new shows, I'm like, man, there's just not enough melanin in this show for me to watch it. I just don't <laughs> care about the stories. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's changing slowly, like real, real slow, but it's it's changing. Um. Oh, I was going to ask. Yeah, I mean, like, why did your parents, what was the motivation for your parents to come um, and, you know, live in Canada? I guess I'll start. Um, well, my dad, uh, so he'd done his PhD at uh, UC Davis, I want to say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and basically his student visa was up. So he had, and the place he was working at didn't apply for a work visa for him. So he had two choices, either Australia or Canada to immigrate to, because both those places were accepting immigrants at the time. And he just had some friend tell him at the time that Australia was way more racist. <laughs> so oh it was Canada. So that's why that's really the only reason we came to Canada. Because um, he, my dad wasn't going to move back, because I think by then his mother had passed away. So there wasn't a whole lot of family back there other than his brother's. And they didn't really want him to go back because what kind of job opportunities really are there mm -hmm. after he's just gotten his degree finished. So he came to Canada 
basically just because it was less racist than Australia. And the place he chose was Medicine Hat, Alberta. That's unfortunate. That is <laughs> that's really unfortunate. That guy Which should have given sure more advice. Which I'm sure a lovely place. Like, I know that they, to just to give Medicine Hat some credit, I think in 2015 or 2014, they passed a no homelessness law, as in that people aren't allowed to be homeless, and they take that as a the pride. So what they do is they actually, um, if someone's homeless, they give them shelters. Like they have housing built wow. just for people who are homeless yeah. and they live there and they're allowed to report there and give them safe sites for uh, whatever they're dealing with at the time. That's better than uh, safe injection sites and what like that. And basically just gives them a place to kind of stay, have heating, get showers and that way they can get back on their feet. So that's actually pretty cool. That, I found that is pretty cool, and it, it, I think Toronto should do that as well because yeah. it's the damn shame how the fuck we treat people here, man. Yeah. Um, uh, that said, yeah, Medicine Hat Alberta was rough as hell back then, um, and I can yeah. get into that at a later time. But yeah, that was it. That was the decision. Mini, what about what you? Um, for me, I'm trying to like remember why. Honestly, I know my dad was doing his PhD in Finland, and then I don't know why like we actually came to Canada. I think it was just like. Because maybe the visa was easier or there are like more job opportunities for like after graduation. Um, but either way, I think it was like it had to be the visa thing that was easier. And there just like aren't a lot of jobs in Finland. So I think he was like studying uh, urban planning or something like that. Mm-hmm. And but now that I think about it, like when I listen to Assad's story, it's like, oh, and the other thing I should mention is that like. Sometimes I feel like my parents do question whether or not they should have come to Canada because they both had really, really good jobs um, in China. Like my dad had gone to like the best school in China. Um, he was like an architect and like he's still an architect, but like my mom was like a civil engineer. But my mom pretty much had to like switch careers mm-hmm. after she came to Canada. She like studied computer science like um, at some at some college and like got the degree and like now she has like a really long career as a as a programmer, which is like really honestly like hats off to her to reconfigure your career in your early 30s as a woman in tech Mm -hmm. like back when it wasn't a very common thing like I remember like her studying javascript when I was like five or six and I was I made her like as a gift like a javascript notebook even though I had no fucking clue what javascript was but like now thinking back like that's pretty freaking incredible I don't think even now like now it's like hip to take like a coding academy or coding boot camp but like back in the day that wasn't a common thing at all um, and then also like after hearing Assad's dad's story, like I feel like I went through a similar kind of experience as Assad's dad because I am also living in the U.S. like um, as an immigrant. I guess I'm I am still an immigrant because I'm still on uh, a, v- a visa. I'm on a TN visa, and mm-hmm. my student visa also ran out while I was working at Microsoft, and like that's a big reason why I like came back to Toronto for a while. So this kind of stuff still happens where you're forced to make choices just due to like the weird ass laws and loopholes of the country you happen to have chosen. And like a lot of these choices, like Assad's dad are like kind of arbitrary. And then you kind of just try to make that work in the best way that you can. And for Assad's case, like for his whole family. So yeah, like we just have to deal with way more like levels of complexity that the average citizen just could not fathom. Yeah, for sure. And like, you know, when when you said about your mom, like, having to change careers and stuff, was that part of because, like, she got her degree, I'm assuming, in China and, like, they didn't accept it here? Yeah, like, she had a, a civil engineering degree and I mm. feel like that just didn't translate. Like, I think, feel like the more technical the degree, it just doesn't translate. Like, the amount of Uber drivers that I've gotten who are, like, doctors in their home country is yeah. just, like, so sad. It is really sad. I also find it really weird because, like, I think the way Canada accepts immigrants, right, they have this sort of, like, points-based system 
where you know if you speak English for example or speak French, you know those are you know, positive points towards um, your acceptance as an immigrant. And like a lot of it is really based off of how much education and sort of what type of um, industry you're working in, sort of from the country you're emigrating from. And it's like it's it would always very strange to me because like it my both my parents had the same experience where like you know they had like top tier schooling in China like in one of the top universities there. Um, and they had lucrative jobs, like from where they were. But then when they came to Canada and they were accepted based on the fact that they had these degrees, it was like all of a sudden their degrees weren't recognized, like whatsoever. And my mom also had to go and basically take another, like she took some like UFT class and then like became like a programmer herself. And then my dad just, I don't know, he just decided, forget it. I don't need to get another engineering degree. Like I got to support the family. So he just like basically went from being like the vice president of his regional branch of like this, uh, this manufacturing shop to basically just becoming a machinist, which is like you could literally go to high school and come straight out of high school and become a machinist instead of getting a master's degree. And it's just it was always very weird to me that Canada would have this thing where they want to take the best and brightest from other places, um, but then they don't give them that same opportunity here to yeah, basically continue their careers. That, that that doesn't have to do as much with we want the best and brightest people coming in. That's just to put up a barrier, right? Yeah, like, probably. All of this is all of this is arbitrary, right? Like, like you can say yes, your standards are higher for certain things, so I'm great. But like the process is just a lot of red tape. Mm-hmm. But the real reason that you have these things like point based systems was because they're like, oh, we are in a first world country. We have benefited from you know exploitation over the years to create this like ideal society for ourselves. We don't want a bunch of other people just rushing in and taking that away from us or, you know, diluting that. So we don't want to share these things with everybody. So let's create barriers that sound that that don't sound like they're inherently like, you know, just like class based or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so that way people accept it. It's like, oh, we only take in the best and brightest, but they don't really, I don't think anyone really cares about bringing in the best or brightest. It's just like, we want to m- control the flow of people coming in. Which on a global scale is completely arbitrary and kind of BS. So, well, no, not kind of. It's completely bullshit. Because realistically, mm-hmm. like, borders aren't actually, like, they're just manufactured things. So, yeah, for sure. But yeah. regardless, one of the things, though, in the immigration process that I personally find the most interesting is, like, just like logistically how it gets done. Like, right now, nowadays, it's fine. You have internet, you have all these things, right? So it's mm-hmm. really easy to. But I was asking, I was I actually asked my dad this a couple of. I think it was about six, seven months ago when I was talking to him. And it was just like, because when we moved from Alberta to Mississauga, like this is what, 2000? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yo, I remember because we only had like dial-up internet at the time or something like that. Yeah. At home. And I'm like, how did you manage to A, like land a job in Mississauga from Medicine Hat? Yeah. Like, because when we moved to Mississauga, we already had, he had already gotten the town, like the townhouse we were going to live in was already rented. He had the deposit down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we, he had already prepared the system to get all the license plates and all that stuff switched over. So I asked him, like, how'd you manage that? Because I remember he only went out there for three days. He went to Mississauga for three days and came back. And then we moved a month later. Wow. Right. So I asked him, like, how? How did you logistically manage all this, like, without the internet? Like, how did you find a place? How did you know where the place was near the thing was? How did you know which school zones were good and all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And he's like, honestly, like, I contacted, like, a rental agent from Alberta, like, from Mississauga in Alberta, like, from an ad that somebody just sent me. And then, basically, I went out there, and then in one day, we saw, like, five different places, Mm -hmm. and I had to pick one, on like, on that day. 
Yeah. Um, I knew where the place was. So he did his interview that still same three days, by the way. That's so he went there, did his interview, <laughs> found set up his whole life. Yeah. He set up his whole life in three days. Yeah. I'm like, how do you manage that? Like yeah. right now, if I want to do anything, I have to go to Google Maps to find out where something is, right? Yeah. I'm like, how did you just like know where stuff was? It's like, oh yeah, you just like get one of those map books and you just go to work. And then I asked him, like, how did you plan our trip from like we'll just Google Maps it from Medicine Hat to Square One, right? Yeah. yeah. Last time I'm like, how did you like? How did like? I don't remember. And then I recalled, like on our drive over, we had like five or six different map books. Yeah. Oh man. Just like, oh and I remember God. flipping through the map books and like learning how to like go in from the zoomed up, like from the out, like the zoomed mm, out map yeah, yeah. to find the, spe- the specific section and knowing it's like, all right, I think we have to follow this highway for this many points. Then you read the numbers, like, okay, this exit we got to take off. And I was like, that's crazy. Like, it's just like the logistics of it are just so crazy to be. Yeah. Like to be able to pull that off and like, because you can't really comparison shop. You can't really do much. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's Is so it cr- like all of Sorry. a sudden, damn, that's like, I was I just amazed. If it's crazier now because we have like the context of how much easier it could be because we have that technology. Like maybe back in the day you would think like, oh man, how do they move in the, in the seventies? Like that's crazy. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah, then one day you know, they look at us and be like, how do these people like use these Google Maps archaic technology? I can't believe you drove from Medicine Hat to Mississauga. We had two cars. So we sold one of them and then we drove our Mazda MPV and it was filled with all their stuff. So we had put yeah, most no of No wonder our it stuff. broke down, man. You- <laughs> well, it was just an old van. Uh-huh. Um, but we, so we had, we had a truck that we had sent from uh, Alberta to Medicine Hat to move most of our stuff. And then the rest of our stuff, like the stuff that we would have needed, like on day one to three, yeah, um, we had in the van, and we drove across because it was cheaper than flying. Like even right now, flying from Alberta to here is like five hundred dollars a person. Like yeah, that's far. Back mm-hmm. then, it would have been untenable. I think back then we sold the car that we had to our landlord for I think five hundred dollars. Oh my god! And it was because we had to get rid of it. Like it was crazy. Like we legitimately like I go back sometimes and i like just talk to my dad about our finances back then mm-hmm. and he tells me he's like yeah we're paying 275 rent for the place we're in and then which is cheap as hell yeah but he's like yeah my salary was about 495 a month oh, wow. i was like what and i'm like hey, yeah that's wild and they were definitely gouging him man that's oh, yeah, <laughs> there's no way you could you can't tell me in 1998 that people were paying 300 a month to live in medicine hat yeah, and I was like, how, so he's like, yeah, so he's like, after like all of our expenses, we had maybe about like twenty six dollars a month that's to work wild, with, man. and I'm like, oh crap, yeah, <laughs> and then like that's why that's why when I was a kid, my only toy was a Staples, uh, <laughs> like like a Staples catalog which I had memorized start to back. And then I thought back because like I remember the b- biggest toy I ever got in my childhood was like this Game Boy Color. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, man, just like pricing it out, that would have been like five or six months worth of saving yeah. on this yeah. one gift. Which is nuts, yeah. but yeah, like it was—it's insane to think about. Like I can't, I can't, I could never imagine immigrating anywhere. Yeah. Oh like, my god. Same. Yeah. Without like having like a assets to bring with me, like I would like how much money would you need to immigrate? Like just as a backup, it's crazy. And yeah, like every time I talk to like my parents or like my friends' parents, and like I'll hear their stories, and it's like holy crap, mm-hmm. like that is insane. <laughs> I mean, think about like immigrating today. Like sometimes I ask myself, could I immigrate? And especially with kids. And mm-hmm. I think the answer is yes. But like our immigrating would be so different because we have resources and we'd probably be going like for a job with like our employer sponsoring us. Like just not yeah, like yeah. 
immigrating from nothing like and, and you'd be yeah. going with degrees that would be recognized right like, exactly yeah. yeah exactly and that's because of our parents they set us up so that if we wanted to immigrate we would immigrate with ease and like with less of the struggle that they took on and i'm just like i could not do what they did i really don't think i could just because of the what i'm used to now which is like so shitty of me to say but like Mm-hmm. And that's just to prove that, like, what they went through was ridiculous. Yeah, for sure. And I think, look, this really illustrates, like, you know, the type of people that are able to pull off the immigration process um, and successfully do it is, like, it's so hard. And it must be, like, I- even infinitely harder as a refugee. But um, I think, you know, it, it does sort of – I think when people joke about immigrant parents and the way they are and the way they act and sort of, like, them being strict and having high standards and stuff like that, it's, like – well, I mean, that's like the type of people you're selecting from that are able to actually make this thing happen. Like, these mm-hmm. are the only types of people that can pull that off. And so it's sort of natural that, like, um, you know, children of immigrant families are generally speaking, like, subject to much higher standards. And I think, you know, that's, I mean, that's ultimately why I wanted to do the show, really, was to just think about that and sort of, like, how that experience was like for you guys. Like, did your parents have, like, like crazy expectation or did you feel expectation of your parents to you know because your parents did so much to sort of um like they struggled so much so that you can have like a more prosperous like brighter future did you feel that expectation um as a child and did that sort of inform sort of the way you decided to make the choices that you made in life yeah i can i can start i feel like i like even just like sitting here now i feel like i I'm realizing how much I internalize mm-hmm. because of my lived experience as an immigrant. Like my parents never like checked on my grades. Like they would just look at my report card and be like, okay, because I don't know. Like I remember one conversation when I was really young, like five or six and my parents were telling me how they, when they were growing up were always like first in their class. Yeah. And like, I remember that conversation for the rest of my life and like to me those were my standards like I had to be the best mm-hmm. um even if that meant like going above and beyond and working super hard and I internalized that like forever so like I was hyper hyper grades focused without my parents ever checking up on me or asking me anything okay. and just like to a point where I think it was a little bit unhealthy especially in high school like I would get like a 99% of something and not be happy with myself mm-hmm. so like the only time I showed my parents my grades was when I would get like like lower than like a 95 on a math test and I'd be like I'm, it's like going to confession at church like mother I have sinned like I did not get a perfect score <laughs> yeah um, I think I, that kind of wore off like only after I graduated from university where I was like I look back and I'm like man I would have gotten a lot more out of school if I had like not just focus on grades and done I mean I did other things but like if you found like one thing you're super passionate about and went really deep I think that would benefit one's like college application and and career even more but um like just I think one is like my parents like telling me like that they were good at school and two is just being the child of an immigrant you work so much harder because I feel like not maybe not like every kid I can't speak for everyone but like you internalize this um this desire to kind of elevate yourself and like through that like the status of your family I mean it sounds kind of like very like class wars and things like that but like I just wanted to prove to my parents that their investment in me was Mm -hmm. worth it I know it wasn't all for me but like a lot of it really is and you work your ass off because you've internalized that you're like one day like when you're little you're like one day I'll be able to do this one day I'll be able to do that and like that drives you like your whole life 
Yeah, for me, like, it was a little different in the sense that, like, I lived, since we moved around a lot when we were kids, I lived very insulated. So it was, like, for me, like, my social circle was just me and my parents. Mm -hmm. And, like, I might have one or two friends, but, like, it wasn't like I was hanging out with them after school. It wasn't like I'd be, like, talking to them or anything like that on a greater basis because, like, whatever, Mm -hmm. you hang out of school. And also, like, you live in, like, racist communities. You don't actually get to have that many friends. So my worldview was a lot more different in the sense that, like, growing up like i didn't know like i think now like kids will grow up and they'll see and like they have examples of oh this isn't the only path to success is like doing really well in school and doing this and like Mm -hmm. oh you can actually get away with a 75 or an 80 like that's actually very much normal and that's actually perfectly fine and you can probably do well with that it's no issue Mm -hmm. but in my head my entire worldview was like oh i have to do well because like if you don't you fail like that was it and it was like the people around me were in the same boat and then once I got to, and I, I got a little lucky in the sense that the schools I went to, once I got to Mississauga, like the kids around me were also from immigrant communities. Mm-hmm. A lot of the times, then I got shoveled into the enhanced program, like in grade four. So all the kids around me were the same. Like I never felt like I was overachieving, even when I was getting like ridiculous grades and focused on grades all the goddamn time. True. Because everybody around me was in the exact same boat. And I think part of that comes down to, I think what, Will was talking about earlier about high standards and you have to be kind of that type of person to be able to immigrate at times mm-hmm. and that and it goes to like what goals they set for me like I talked to my dad about the other day and this is kind of going off script a little but um in terms of goals I was just like I, I was doing I was at a client job that was near where we used to live once upon a time and I had to it was on Friday so I went to I had to find a mosque in the area to go pray so I drove through this like lower income area with school and whatnot and I see these small houses that look like the houses that like I grew up living in so it was like very very like real for me I'm like oh this is oh yeah this is where we used to live and we used to and I was just thinking while driving I'm like oh yeah and our family used to be so happy mm-hmm. and like I, I like I remember happiness in my childhood like growing up in the family like you, no matter what the surroundings were like we were very happy like we enjoyed that life and then I think about like what my worries are nowadays it's like oh we have this house oh we got to remortgage this house oh we got to find a way to keep paying this mortgage and live this life and these lofty dreams so when i came back that night and i talked to my dad and i just like thanked him i was like i we were driving through that and i remembered like that's where we started basically here mm-hmm. yeah so like even to the point that we've gotten to is like this massive success and he told me he's like i don't see it that way he's like he said that he thinks he failed because you know he was unemployed for however many years during like the last 10 15 years just mm-hmm. there were not that had nothing to do with his education level, had nothing to do with like his like successful ability as an employee, it was just uh, you know, a function of the industry. Yeah. Yeah. So and he's like, No, I think I failed because I've failed to manage meet these, these, these goals. I'm like, these goals are way too high. Like we've gone from this to this, and that in itself is a success. Where even if we were living that life back then, mm-hmm. now, like we were happy then, so why are we not happy now? Yeah. But like that those standards and those goals that he had set for himself and that my mom has set for herself in terms of what a successful life here looks like for them mm-hmm. was so shocking to me because I realized that that's what I've been internalizing like mm-hmm. my entire life because you keep taking that in and you're like yo this isn't like well on the flip side like if I talk to some of my buddies just like my buddies from here who grew up here whose families have lived here for years and years and years and their worldview is a lot different like of course like they're still the same you know, understanding of what success looks like in a capitalist perspective. It's like, oh, I need a big house, I need a car, all this. But there's mm-hmm. also just like, oh, I can just have success doing a job that I enjoy doing. And that's it. Like, I could just live yeah. in this. And there's no timeline to it. So I found that a little shocking to me when I realized that. I was like, oh, crap. 
is a different way to approach this. Yeah, I mean, I always thought that, like, it, it was always very strange for me personally because, like, I knew sort of the expectations. Like, my expectations were pretty much similar to the way that you, you described it from your parents. Um, but, like, it was always kind of strange because, like, you live your own experience here in Canada and there's, like, just different standards, right? It's like a society with more, like, upward mobility. Um, it's, and it's, like, a lot easier to get to an attainable lifestyle and things like that. There's just a lot more opportunity. And so there's not the same pressure where it's like, you know, I don't know if it was the same for you, Minia, but like, like I remember my dad would always tell me like, you know, out of his town of like 50, 60,000 kids to, to take like the high school exam, which basically like the Chinese SAT, the Gaokao, right? Like he mm-hmm. was like the top number one out of that like ex, like 60,000 kids. And like they were really only accepting like two or three from each class. And so to basically be top two in that amount like that was the standard in which these people came here with and it was like you know you don't have to do that here in canada right like you you yeah. really don't like realistically if you get to a point where you, you even get on like the honor roll being 80 percent, right which like i know <laughs> we're, 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 we're we're giggling but like for real like the honor roll is 80 percent. like the honor roll in like uh, other places or at least the way they would have celebrated scores like honor roll is probably like 99 95 at minimum yep and so um, it was always kind of difficult because the expectations for my parents was very stri- like was one way, but then the expectations in the actual society that I lived in was another way, and I always just kind of felt bad because I was like, I've always been like naturally inclined to be lazy, so I was like, you know what? <laughs> honestly, I was just like, I, this the shit is really easy for me. Like, um, I'll work hard enough to like get to like an eighty five, and I'll just chill there, and then like. I don't know. I would always be like, like my teachers would be like, you know what? He's pretty smart. And, you know, he's doing really well. And then my parents would be like, what are you talking about? He's doing really well. He's only got an 85. And it was always this like strange dissonance. And for yeah. me, like I just always made me kind of feel like bad and kind of insecure about sort of the way um, I've grown up and sort of led life because I'm just like, I, I know what they did and like it'll never measure up to that. And, and then- meanwhile, though, I'm like by normal society standards here in Canada, like I'm, I'm doing fine. And that builds into like an imposter syndrome where you're just like, man, I yeah, know I'm sure. not really. Because for it's me, nobody's the thing fault, was, really. It's nobody's yeah, fault. It's just, it it's just, just is a, what it it's is. Just a, it is what it is. Yeah. That's why, like, for me, like, the first time I was in a, like, where the expectations around me were different, like, the first time I was in, like, some sort of school system where mm-hmm. I wasn't surrounded by majority immigrants yeah. that had the same mindset of me was when I got to university. Oh, man. Which is very late for that to happen because I got to university and I'm just, like, working, like, how I normally work uh-huh. and I have my own standards for, like, expectations and I'm just, like, and I, I was lucky. I went to an easy school. I'll be dead honest. Like the program I was in, I was hella easy. I got trained well by my high school. I already knew everything, so I just straight up aced everything. Yeah. And I like I'm talking to kids. And I'm I get a grade back. And I'm like, man, I didn't do too well in this. I got like an 85. And the look that I got yeah. from my buddy, where he just like, are you kidding me right now? <laughs> and I was like, oh shit. Like and this really hit. I think it was like we wrote a business midterm. Yeah. And I'm sitting there. I get my grade back. And I got an 88 on this midterm, right? And, like, we're going through the grading of it. And I'm like, man, I just need one more mark to get to a 90. So as I'm going through it, I realize, like, oh, crap, I have another mark here. As she's going through the answer key. So I go up to the TA, and I'm just thinking about my paper. So I go up to the TA, I'm like, oh, I think there's, a like, another mark here. Because everybody was going up. Mm-hmm. And yeah. she's like, hey, can you uh, talk to me, like, like, maybe later after class or whatever? Like, we can go over it then. I'm like, oh, okay. So I go back. And I sit down. And then that's when I kind of, like, take a take a like a scan of the room mm-hmm. and the guy beside me has just got his head down and I see his paper and I think it was, it was out of 80 and all I see is a 16 out of 80. Oh, like, dog. oh that's, all, that's unfortunate. And then I look to my left Shit. and there's this girl who's in tears 
in tears, and I look at her paper, and it's got a four on it. And I'm like, oh, no, holy crap. no, it has to be another number, right? It can't just be one. No, 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 no. it was a four. Okay, out of I was like, holy oh, shit. That's, and that's then I find out that the average on the exam was a fifty-six, oh. and I was like, crap, I gotta just like, re- like I have to understand, like you gotta just chill a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then that's when I kind of gotta say, I'm like, oh, standards are different. Yeah, like, general society. Like I've been living in a very, very tight bubble that's been incredibly competitive mm-hmm. for my entire life. Like it's not like that. And like as Will was saying, like my dad, like I was asking him, I was like on about immigration. He was like, yeah, like how'd you get into UC Davis from Pakistan, right? Like mm-hmm. how did you apply for that PhD program from like nowhere? Like how'd you? He's like, oh, yeah. like his uncle sent him back some brochures. He wasn't even thinking about it. And it was actually cool because they had recorded voicemails. So I was actually listening to these recorded voicemails, which is pretty cool. Yeah. That's wicked. Uh, but anyway, so like uh, he's like, I applied and I had to write this exam for the scholarship, for this full scholarship. And they had, I think, 10 spots of which two were designated to each country in a region. So he's like, I went to the exam. There were, I think, 20 or 25,000 people writing it. And there's two spots. Yeah. And I'm like, that is absolutely nuts. That's nuts. Oh like, God. that is nuts. Like, I'm like, that's why like, Will was telling me his story, like, just saying his story. And I'm like, that's that's the odds that the, these people are facing to come here. Yeah. Like, to immigrate in the first place. Like, how are you coming here? It's like, oh, I came here on a full scholarship. How did you get that scholarship? Oh, well, I had to beat the odds. Like, it was like five out of 15,000, 20,000. It's like, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Like, I personally, if I was faced with that, I would fail. I would feel like, yeah. Oh are you kidding me? There's, I would, there's no way. I wouldn't I'm, even try. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, I, I would feel happen. like way too much pressure and anxiety to even do that. And like that, I don't understand how our parents just really just like just see that. And be like, yeah, I got this. Like, what? yeah, exactly. Like, what? <laughs> how do you handle that pressure mentally? You know what I mean? Like, and, and like, I, I don't think mental health is really a discussion that really gets talked about that much. But like, no. like, I, I, I don't understand <laughs> that much pressure. <laughs> yeah. And that's also uh, going back to that voicemail thing. Something mm-hmm. that's really cool, and I think like I was talking to some people, and I think it's something that's worth doing. It's like if you sit down and you just talk to your parents about their past or what. Yeah, it might just be just put it on tape or put it like record it or something, because it was just really cool to me. Like I realized I'm like I should be recording some of these conversations that I have with my dad, like just him telling stories, like him telling his mom like that he was going to immigrate and what that last conversation was like. I wanted I I wanted to ask him that. I'm like, how like did you know when you were talking to her mm-hmm. that that was like the last time you guys were going to live together ever. Yeah. Cause I think you only went back and saw her like once or twice before she ended up passing away. Yeah. That's and that it. was it, which is like crazy. Like you're leaving a life. Right. And I'm mm. like, what was that conversation like? And did you know in that moment that that was it, that you were not going to go back to that country? And he was like, he knew, but he didn't like, know. like it was like, he knew internally, but it hadn't seeped in. So it was a very like stoic type of conversation for him. And then I was like re-listening to these and there were voicemails of like literally like my 17 year old dad leaving voicemails from my, and it wasn't even voicemails. They were, what they would do is they would record a tape mm-hmm. and then they would ship it. All right. That's, yeah, that's then, definitely one way to do telecommunications. Very slow, yeah. right? That's, like, that's like basically a, a letter. That's just. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that was cheaper than calling apparently at that time somehow. Okay. All right. So they were doing that and they had people, I guess, going back and forth. So they would pass these tapes on and whatnot. I think they'd send a tape every like month or so. So they just record a bunch of conversations over a month. And I thought that was like really wild. It's like hearing like in this time and place, like my 17 year old father talking to my 24 year old uncle. Yeah. And I was like, this is crazy. Like, this is nuts. And it's like, I think of all the conversations I've had with my parents. And I'm like, I wish I would, like, I know that they're stored somewhere in my head. Mm-hmm. 
but you're gonna lose them, right? Yeah, in the true. cloud. Yeah, like somewhere. So like just to have those, to, like to be able to go back, it was like really cool. So like that's just like a tip. Like if you're, like if you ever do have these type of conversations with your parents, like hey, put it down on tape or something. Like it's it's really cool to go back to those conversations. Or do like do like a podcast with your parents or Yo. something just to record it somehow. I was gonna say for a long time I wanted to do a podcast with my parents. Um. And it's just sort of a general podcast, sort of talking to yeah. them about their experiences. And it probably would have been something like this. But, um, yeah, I mean, how did you – do you feel like that kind of pressure sort of informed the way um, you guys grew up and the decisions you guys made in school and in, in your careers and stuff like that? Like, Because um, I, I think, you know, to varying degrees, but I think the three of us have, are all so, like – kind of settled into our careers now and feel reasonably comfortable especially the, i mean especially considering what our parents did it definitely is comparatively very very comfortable um mm-hmm. but yeah do you feel like that kind of drove you guys to where you guys are today um i feel like even this conversation is making me like realize so many things and just the way that careers are viewed like the difference between immigrants and maybe people who you know grew up and are from Canada like not as immigrants like they see your job so much more as something you're like passionate about Mm -hmm. and love whereas when I was growing up I'm like it needs to be like I need to be successful like that was just my definition of it and I kind of like whatever I liked to do in high school I kind of factored it in a little bit but um but like the wild and crazy things like like sports writing and I think it's interesting to look at the careers that the three of us have and like how we ended up there in our respective ways um mm-hmm. i kind of like shoved that to the side for so long like this, this is always going to be a hobby like that's what i kept telling myself and i think where i landed in and in, in product marketing it was a combination of like something that i kind of liked and then something that i felt like i could get a job in and mm-hmm. i could find at a company like a tech company that would sponsor my visa in the u.s so everything was kind of a compromise like I feel like jobs like PR um, and in, in the media a lot of like those unpaid internships in New York are jobs for the privileged who yeah, can afford to live off of mommy and daddy for a couple of years during and after college and I feel like a lot of um, immigrant kids and like international students there's two kinds of international students like oh, yeah, the yeah. kind that got here on their grades and the kind that like drive around like Maserati right? that crazy rich like, Asian <laughs> crazy rich <laughs> Asian teen you, edition you read those kids at Waterloo Yo, oh dude. man! Oh my god! I remember this you one time. This is just a completely side story. I was walking out of my apartment <laughs> and I'm going to class, and all I see is this car, really nice car. I forget what car oh, it yeah, was. Yeah. But my buddy told this me it's like some a fast shit. Seven hundred thousand dollar car, right? And it's trying to like parallel park into a spot. Oh. And like there was only a car in front, so there wasn't a car in back. So theoretically, could have just drove straight into the spot. Yeah, yeah. Didn't want to. Was parallel parking, reverse sure. parking in. Ten minutes. I'm watching this car. Oh, no. just <laughs> And it oh, ends no. up parking with like the back wheel on the curb, and this tiny little like tiny little girl comes out, just walks away. I'm like, that was incredible. What the <laughs> hell did I just watch? Like, what is going on? It's just like a student. I'm like, that's crazy. That's insane to me. Yeah. And like then I ask my buddies at Waterloo, and they tell me all these stories of all these rich kids. <laughs> oh yeah, no, crazy rich Asians is yeah, present in yeah. every university across. Okay, what is this me? No, definitely not. But. <laughs> Um, I didn't know what Canada Goose was until I got to university. I'll say that. Oh my yeah, god, neither, right? I can't wear one of those things. It's just like you're, it's screaming. I am an urban douche. Like I just can't. Wear it. <laughs> I am an urban douche. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was gonna say yeah, th- that is probably the number one jacket among Asian people. 
Oh yeah, it's like a it's a status symbol at this point. I mean, I'm sure it keeps you warm, but for like nine hundred dollars, I'm sorry to like call one of my friends out, but um, mm. he bought a Canada Goose debit uh, uh, jacket and maxed out his debit card, um, so he couldn't even call an Uber back home. So he had to call his parents to pick him up, and that to me was the most like <laughs> millennial story ever. Like, nice, David, nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I went to a majority <laughs> way to call him up a name. I know. <laughs> Asian David, one of sixteen thousand. <laughs> What's wild is like I went to like a, like a majority Asian high school. Like yeah. shout out to Woodlands, Mississauga. If Woodlands. you know, you know. Like we're talking like it's either you're Asian, you're Indian, you're Pakistani, and then maybe something else. That was it. That was it. That was eighty yeah. percent of the school. And I did not know what a Canada Goose jacket was because we were just all broke. I'm pretty exactly. sure. Yeah. It, really, like I was a very like uh, I think it was a low income community as well, and it was a heavy like immigrants. Because there was a subsidized community beside there. There's mm-hmm. just a ton of immigrants. And a bunch of enhanced kids getting bust in as well. And we knew nothing. Absolutely nothing. And then you get to university and it's like, oh, that's what a Canada Goose Jacket is. God damn. Yeah. I did not know that was a thing. I actually had no idea going into university that there were kids that were going to university not on OSAP. I just assumed everybody was on OSAP. <laughs> yeah. Because in my head, university was the most uh, like expensive thing. I'm like, there's no way anyone can afford this. Because that's what was drilled in my head. I was like, oh, how did you afford tuition? Yeah, unless you got a scholarship. Like, it's... Oh, you got to pay 15 k for first-year university? Oh, my God, this is impossible. And you're really learning grade 12 subjects. Yeah. Yeah. And it was nuts. I was so amazed. And now it's just like, wow, that's like... Yeah. Let me, but, yeah, let me... for me, in terms of, like, career choice, yeah. like, for me, it was entirely about stability. That was it. Like, my... Like, my like the way I grew up and the way like I saw my family struggle growing up, mm. my entire career choice is stability. Like my parents never put pressure on me. Like I lived in a, like I, like I know from the community I come from, there's a lot of pressure on becoming doctor, lawyer, engineer, yeah, yeah. whatever. Cause there's a lot of importance put on money, but my parents never put importance on money per se. Mm-hmm. They're, they basically, like my dad always told me, he was like, look, whatever you're going to do, just make sure that you do it to as well as you can do it. So yeah. if you're going to, whatever you go into, just make sure that you put in the work to be as successful as you possibly can be. And then advice. whatever money is going to come is going to come from God. So you don't need to worry about it. I'm like, all right. And for me, the whole thing was like, I saw my dad. I'm like, all right, this man got his PhD, has 20 something odd patents. And yet for the last like 14 years, he's been unemployed or underemployed for half of them. Mm-hmm. Right? Like we buy a house, he loses his job three months later. Great. <laughs> Yeah. So like I, I'd seen it and I'm like, you know what? Forget it. I'm just not dealing with unemployment in my life. I'm going to pick the most stable career I possibly can. Mm-hmm. So it was grade 11 accounting. This guy from CPA Ontario came into our class to give a lecture. Um, he's wearing a suit, mm-hmm. looked good, talked about the job. I'm like, yo, I'm pretty good at accounting. I got like a 98 in this course right now. He went to Laurier, became an accountant. So I went to Laurier, became an accountant. That's more or less it. So yeah. that's, it's really that simple. I'm just like, look, I'm not going to be unemployed. Most likely in my, hopefully unless tech takes away my job, but, uh, that's it. I was like, I just, I value stability over anything. And that's what informed my career choice where I'm like, I'm not going to take a risk with it. Cause I know for me, my biggest thing is as the eldest kid, as being basically the first kid that gets to earn an income mm-hmm. for my family and gets to actually benefit from like a North American education at its most. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have to do something to set everybody up. Which means, like, my parents bought their first house, what, when my dad was, like, 45? That's when we got our first mortgage. Mm-hmm. 45, 50. So he's not going to, like, he's not going to be alive when this mortgage gets paid out, ever. Mm. Like, there's no chance of that, right? So, like, it's up to me to find a way to, like, my only goals are create stability for my ha- family here. And mm-hmm. to do that, it's like, you got to get a house paid off. Whatever you do, you got to get at least one house paid off. So that way you own land. So that's 
been my only goal in terms of picking a career, in terms of what you go to is like, yo, find a way to stabilize a family here so that all of that work to immigrate here, give people a better life. Like that doesn't go to waste. Like you don't want to blow that up just by not, yeah. you know, working hard enough. Cause that's, that's right. really all it is. Like if I don't like, if my laziness is the reason that we screw up, then yeah. like you can't live with that's that. Something you can't live with. It's yeah. just, it's too much for me. So that was, that's it. That was really, Oh, that's where that immigrant experience kind of, delves into you where it's like i was given so much privilege to be able to live this life mm-hmm. that like grow up the way i have and have these advantages so i better make use of them if i have them yeah and immigrants recognize their privilege a lot more than people who have even more privilege i feel like because it was built and you see it being built from nothing mm-hmm. and then if you ever go back to like your home country you instantly like it's such a shock and like yeah like, i know it's like a twitter joke it's like oh people go back to their home country and then it's like oh and they post and it's like, oh, I just saw a kid. Like, that's just how poor people for the first time and stuff like that. <sighs> and that part of it is complete garbage. Like, like just romanticizing poverty is garbage. Yeah, no. But that's... there is a part of it that you have to realize, like, look, in terms of the odds, there is, like, the chances of us being just, you know, living that life versus yeah, for this sure. life. It's like, more likely, like, yeah. a kid being born in our culture is going to be born into that type of life. Yeah. So, like, you have been given the opportunity. There's nothing inherently about me that makes me better than those people. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the fact that I'm given these advantages, I better make use of them because I know those kids would. Yeah. I know those people would if they had been if they are given those opportunities. They would 100% take them and use them and make the best out of it. So I can't be lazy about my opportunities. I got to make use of it. Yeah. And definitely. that's what, like, really drives it home for you, like, where if you just kind of grow up here and if you don't see that and if you aren't confronted with that kind of on a daily basis when you, yeah. like... In life you live like you i think can live that's a very why life and you don't see that bottom end yeah I, it it's, could be. I think that's why it's important like that i think our parents made a really big um i don't know about you guys but i mean my parents definitely made a really big effort to send me back to china and like you know we lived like middle class in china you know it's like I, actually it was weird it, it felt it feels like there's like you're either really poor in china or like most of the people are middle class and then there's like some kind of unseen but we know they're out there like really rich people um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it was like, it really important for like my parents to send me back to see the roots and to like, just understand like, you know, the context in which they grew up in just because I, I think it's not even about sort of trying to appreciate sort of the opportunity so much. It's, it's sort of like, that's the only way for them to really communicate to you who they are as people and what, how they sort of grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just wouldn't be able to get that anywhere else. Because all I see is, like, you know, what my parents are, like, home. And then what they are, like, in public in Canada. And it's, like, mostly kind of awkward and trying to avoid speaking English even though they're fluent. And it's, like, <laughs> there's that. And then, then you know, there's, like, like the most recent time when we went back. And I see my dad, like, chilling with the siblings. And, like, how affable he is. And, like, playing Mahjong or, like, playing Big Two. Shout out Big Two. I love Big Two. <laughs> Shout, Shout out Big, Big two. two. Great game. Oh, it's basically president. It's basically president. Okay. But better somehow. Yeah. Big Two was every, like we had forty-five minute bus rides to school, Yo, so all on. we did was play Asad, Big tell Two. Me, in don't the tell me you're bus. playing Big Two. <laughs> yeah, man. I what? Dude. <laughs> I, I'm like, you Yo, you're full of shit. Come oh, on. My my best friend was Joel, Joel Tam. Shout out Joel Tam. My G. Uh, Shut up. Yeah, he was like, yo, we're playing Big Two. I'm like, all right, man, we're playing Big Two. Yo. So it was like five little kids just playing Big Two on the second seat. Wow. Damn. Um, Yeah, I mean, yo. I mean, uh, yeah, I'll lose my train of thought, really. But, like, (laughs) I just think it's, uh, 
I don't know. For them, it's like it is. It is. It's just overall, it's a great experience. Like if you have the opportunity to go home and yeah. um, experience that. I mean, I don't know. Have you guys had those kind of trips? And sort of, how did you guys feel? Yeah, I mean, we went back almost every year, which is actually oh, okay. pretty now that I think of it. But it's because um, uh, we had a lot of family back there, mm-hmm. and now that I think about it, like when you go back and you see them with their friends, their old coworkers, their yeah. family. One, it makes you realize how much they gave up. It's like us giving up our whole social circle and everything we know, right? Yeah. It's like if I moved to Medicine Hat today. Yeah, oh God. Yeah. I would, don't wish that upon you, Saad. Don't do um, it. Don't do it. <laughs> you can be an Oilers fan, maybe. Um, actually, I don't wish that upon you either. Okay. And <laughs> going actually, back to Medicine China, Hat was closer to Calgary, so. Oh, Ooh, we're then good. I wish that even less upon you. <laughs> wow. God. Um, what was I saying? Oh yeah, we so we went back every year, and then this kind of goes back to what what Asad was saying about like the, the voicemail that um, your dad left. First of all, that feels like it could be like a movie that would make me cry. Wow. Like those tapes just sound so poetic. But, it'll um, it'll be Lion except without Dev Patel, please. Yeah, exactly. With the that, movie, that movie's not good. That movie was just him crying into Google Maps circa 2014. <laughs> I haven't seen it. He yeah um, he tried he used his Google Maps to find where he used to be. Uh, he was like an adopted child. <laughs> What's that? It feels like a giant ad for Google Maps. A, a little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. Imagine that edition with Rand McNally, except you're just reading out oh. of a Golden Horseshoe book. Anyway, anyway. Uh, what was I oh yeah, like the fact that when you move as an immigrant back in the day, it's like it's not like now I can just like fly back and go home, right? right. Um, and see my parents, like. Back in the day, that's like that could have been forever. I remember, like, I was either I was watching Brooklyn too, mm-hmm. and she was immigrating from. I don't know. Have you guys seen that movie? Saoirse uh, Ronan. She immigrates from Ireland to Brooklyn, um, like probably a hundred years ago. But like when she said bye to her mom in Ireland, like yeah. she knew that was forever. Yeah. Because that's like a boat journey, and like that is just like every time you say bye to your parents, for that to be forever, and it also makes me feel like because I don't live at home anymore. Um, the time, the amount of time you can spend with your parents is so little. Like, if I was yeah. in the same city, I would visit so often because they're getting old. And, like, you're going to look back to this time and wish you spent more time with them with, while Definitely. they were healthy. It's getting really sad. But, like... Yeah, I'm going, I'm going home I'm going home for dinner after this. Please <laughs> you, do. You've convinced like, me. I'm going home. They're going to make dumplings. All right. My friends are always, like, whenever you talk to me, like, I, like, I make them want to, like, call their parents right away because, yeah. like, honestly, like, the time, when you add it together, it's not that much if you if you're not living in the same city. So that's part of the reason I moved um, back to New York is so I could just, like, fly home more easily and more often. Yeah. But, yeah, anyway, that was, like, a big tangent on your question. <laughs> so we can talk about, like, whether you flew back to Pakistan often. Yeah, no, I've flown back a couple times. The last time I went, I think, was... Oh, it's been a while. I think it's been seven years or so. Seven, eight years. Yeah. And the last time I went back, uh, my my uncle, he took us, he took me back to like, first we went to the grave sites, um, mm. just to dead. And then from there we went back to like their childhood home, like their very childhood yeah. home. Yeah. And that one, that one blew my mind. Like that one, like, yeah. I'll be honest, like I had just gotten a wisdom tooth removed the day before in Pakistan, which by the okay. way, that was also crazy that I did that. <laughs> Yeah. I'm sure <laughs> I wasn't like, planned, yeah, I guess. Let's get a wisdom tooth. It was not planned because it didn't hurt. Like, yeah. it wasn't hurting when I went. But then once I got there, I was just like, okay. They're like, oh, good I rates here. I, I guess I have to get this wisdom tooth removed. That was crazy. That Like, that whole surgery was wild because it was just like, 
boom, shoot you up and then break it off. You're awake for everything. It was great. Oh anyway, God, why? Oh why are you awake for it? No, God. Well, actually, yo, that's how that's how it happened here too. Like the other one that got removed here because it's just cheaper to do it that way. <laughs> oh, fuck that. When I got my ticket, I was passed the hell out. Anyway, so like, yeah, that was crazy. So I was like hopped up on like. Mm-hmm. Tons of painkillers. Yeah, yeah, it hurt like crazy, and I'm pretty sure that I got in dry socket because it hurt a lot more oh, than the no. wisdom teeth that got removed here. Okay, because oh, I remember I was in like epic pain. Anyway, so we drive out there, and I'm there, and I couldn't really speak to anybody there. But we got there and to see it, and it's like literally like brick and like mud is what built a lot of these houses, right? Yeah, like it's like the entire there was no roads in this housing complex. Mm-hmm. Like it was just basically like dirt roads and whatnot yeah and like we go there and like they're like oh yeah this used to be our old house and then the nate like their neighbors like oh this is our neighbors and those neighbors are still there yeah so the lady comes out and she's like oh and then she starts talking and then she starts reminiscing on the times when they used to play as kids mm-hmm. and she asks who i am because i looked familiar mm-hmm. and my uncle tells her like oh he's so-and-so son and then she loses it and she starts telling me all these stories about my dad and i was just like that's, I that's was, incredible it hit so hard and then like yeah. Monko walking down is like it's in the p- complex. There was like a little like store area that they had built, right? Where it's just mm-hmm. like one shop, and we go there and there's this kid like that's working there. He's got a couple magazines, and whatnot, and like his dad's back. His dad comes out, and he's like, "Oh, you must be that guy's son." Yeah, because I used to play with him as a kid, and I was like, "Wow!" And then it clicked for me. Everything clicked all at once because then I got shot back to all the stories my dad would tell me about how like his dad would send him to go get like cigarettes from the local corner shop mm-hmm. and then he'd sneak one before he'd go back but then yeah. the shop owner would tell like have already sent a kid to tell okay. like his dad that oh he snuck one or whatever right? Yeah, yeah. And now all of it like all those stories that I heard from childhood now like they're visually like real to me. Mm-hmm. So I figured, and I like I remember I came home and I was just like of course, it was on painkillers as well, too, so I was crying from the pain and stuff like that. But I was just, like, Damn. trying to, like, trying to reconcile, like, what my life is. Like, even the, like, the lowest point I remember in my life, like, how we were living. Mm-hmm. I'm, like, that, like, just in comparison. Like, I'm, like, I can't even understand, like, how my dad reconciles between how, like, he grew up versus how he's living now. Yeah. Because it's just, mm-hmm. like, completely different worlds. And it's so, like, it's such an intense thing, like, for me to think about because I'm, like, man, like, mm-hmm. If you come from like from there to this point, like, how can you really like you like you can't really be scared of failing anything at that point? Yeah, I mean, I, I like, guess so, what right? Like, afraid of like you're afraid it's gonna get worse than this. Great, like this is already like so many steps up, and that's like it's in a to- in a in a grand scheme of things, it's a terrible way, I guess, to look at things, right? It's like mm-hmm. these are necessities. Everyone should have these type of luxuries and whatnot. Like, if you can create them for one person, you should be able to create them for all people. Mm-hmm. But that that was, I think, the biggest shock for me ever, like, going back and kind of just seeing not just, like, general yeah. how people were living, but just, like, how you by yourself, like, how your family was. Yeah. And, like, how ridiculously, like, how much of an outlier your life is. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, like, whenever, whenever I go back home, it's, like, it's such an emotional – like, everything is emotional. <laughs> like, it just, mm-hmm. I, I, like, everything feels very overwhelming. But, um, yeah, especially if I go back to um, – like on my dad's side like they live in like a small town it's like there's like a farm like literally in the backyard well the backyard is not a backyard it's just a farm um but it's like right behind the house and like that's where they live now and it's like the complex that they built and whatever but like you know the last time i went back my dad took me to where they lived before and it's in the same town it's really only like a couple hundred meters away and it's like this rundown 
shack. Like it's like imagine like a shed you would have in a Canadian backyard, except like it's like straw on top, and it's like my dad will point to this like gap, like close to I guess I don't know. It 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 sort of toppled over time, but like he's like, yeah, he's just used to sleep like basically on that straw, and like I would be a farmer, oh, and it wow. was like that's what he did, and um. It's, I think it's, it also speaks to like sort of just like how like, you know, uh, Pakistan and China and a lot of these countries have like changed so much over the years that like, you know, there is this giant migration, even within the country, you don't have to leave the country to come back and feel that change. Like, I'm sure for a lot of people who live in rural areas, like that change is already happening. But um, I don't know, for me personally, though, like it was like, everyone come come up and especially like seeing old family members that I don't really honestly ever contact, except when I go home. And it's like, they see me almost like as a foreigner and like, I, I just feel like, you know, it's completely true. Like, it's just hard for me to accept that, but it's like, I, I have grown up as a foreigner and as much as I tried to sort of hold on to my roots and things like that, like you're always sort of caught in this thing called like the two world experience, right? Like you are mm-hmm. from one area and that's where your roots are, but realistically you grew up in another place and that's where your own personal roots are for your own life. And it's, it's, it's just always, it's always been strange sort of rectifying the two of them. Um, but, uh, and, and it plays out in things like whether, like I used to fight with my parents all the time about going to Scarborough to take Chinese class. Cause I'm like, I don't need this. Like I just, I could speak Chinese fine. I don't really want to write and read that much. Like I just want to talk yeah. to you guys. Uh, and they're like, no, it's important. It's important. It's important. And it's like only when you grow up afterwards, you're like, damn, that, that was important. And if I could have, I would have definitely volunteered most of my Saturdays to doing that instead of watching like i don't know cartoons what was, what was exactly what was, the, what was the saturday cartoon that was good like beyblade like i didn't need to see beyblade <laughs> Yu Gi Oh was one of the, and jane and the dragon i really like but that's a niche one that's an i was watching one. like fighting foodons remember that one yeah yeah that oh was that was not a good show actually metabot metabots was the one which like if you could catch it was dope metabots is good but yeah shout metabots out to great that was about it Honestly, like for me, my biggest regret growing up is that I never learned how to read or write in Urdu. Yeah, because like, like it just we just never had time. Like it was like, mm-hmm. like I, I, I can speak very fluently, very yeah. well. Like I'm actually making a point anytime I get called. Like we, I can pick up a call at home. And it's from one of my aunts or it's from one of yeah. my parents. Like relatives, and they always, as soon as they hear one of us kids on, they start speaking in English. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I always just reply in Urdu. So I'm like, no, nah. okay. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not doing this. Like, yeah. I'm you're like, this is important to me. Honestly, yo, I get into Uber drive cabs, yeah. and if the driver's Chinese, I will try to force a conversation in Mandarin just so that I can sort of brush up. You know? Yeah, like, yeah. I just random. Like, I when I went to Chicago last summer, uh, last, last 2017 summer, I was just on a trip, and the Airbnb guy, he was a Pakistani guy, he was a student. Mm-hmm. And, like, he was he was, a, he was on a student visa, an international student. Yeah. So I was talking to him and I was like, we were speaking in English for like a little bit. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, I can, yep. we have a better language. Like, we have yeah. a language that we both perfectly speak fine. Like, why are we? So I just started speaking Urdu because I was like, this is just easier. And it's still natural. Mm-hmm. Like, you have a natural conversation. I'm like, and you don't, and you don't flex those muscles like enough. Yeah. You lose parts of it, right? I'm like, I don't want to. Like, this is something that, like, I, like, it's, it, it's a valuable thing to have and not even valuable. It's just something that feels at home. And the one thing like I feel the most is like when people talk about like the immigrant experience and stuff like that, a lot of it, like when you go back home, there's resentment at times from people who are back home. Mm-hmm. Of it's like, oh, like you guys left, like you guys left the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it's, there's a brain drain effect, right? It's like, oh, like yeah. instead of giving back to the con- this country and like building it up, you guys just left basically. Right. And there's a part of me which realizes like, 
like I'm not someone who immigrated from back home. Like I was mm-hmm. born here. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't put it on me to at some point give back. At some point bring something. So hopefully yeah, when I'm forty, when I'm fifty, I have the ability to go back and bring back some of the like some of the advantages that I've pulled from here. That can go back and create those same advantages back there. Cause it's a ridiculous thing to think about, right? Like mm-hmm. that you would grow up from one country, but you'd have to go somewhere else to get advantages. Yeah. Cause nobody growing up here is doing that. Like you're not gonna no. grow up in Canada, be like, oh, I need to go to another country to give myself more opportunity yeah. because mm-hmm. this place doesn't do it for me. Yeah. That's yeah. kind of ridiculous. Like I'm like, no, like that that should be like a home for me as well. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, that should be a place where I should feel comfortable and that I understand what's going on. Like it's kind of it that's part of the things where I try to reconcile at times when it comes to the two world experience or what you might call it. And that's where it's like you like you gotta do something at some point hopefully to at least give back looking at it like at a holistic level i don't know yeah i've had like friends growing up who really tried to reject the two-world thing like when they felt it coming Mm -hmm. um like they grew up trying like to not even like being proud of the fact that they can't speak chinese like it makes them more you know we all have friends like that yeah Um, ironically they ended up studying abroad in china to learn chinese during university like okay (laughs) Because now it's advantageous in the business world, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, all right, all right, girl. Um, but I think it, it is it is really jarring because, like, I remember when I would go back and intern in the summer in Shanghai at, like, an ad agency, they would definitely, like, they, they look at you and they think that you think you're better than them because you're from North America. And you kind of have to prove to them that you're not like that. So, like... My way of doing that was just to speak in the local Shanghainese dialect. And it was yo. so, yo, yeah, and immediately, like, their attitude changed mm-hmm. so much when you just speak the dialect. And they, like, treated me like one of their own. But, yo, like, that's sick that you still know how to speak Shanghainese. Yeah, we just speak that at home. So, no, we don't even speak Mandarin. So, right, right. that's, like. I mean, it's, that, like, that it's really, like, at least, like, 75% Mandarin. Yeah, it's like the same grammar, just like the pronunciation is yeah. different. Yeah. But um, like they just like switched so much when that happened, mm-hmm. and it's like weird they have that attitude. Like even my uncle, like when we yeah. went to New Zealand, he he made a comment when I when we were talking about some like foreign policy issue, and I, I think he used to work in the government, so I'll oh, caveat okay. that. But he's like okay. uh, the the communist government to clarify, yeah. um, and he's like, "You're pretty much American." Like basically saying my opinion was like invalid. I'm oh, like, yeah. first of all. I'm not. I'm not American. Like mm-hmm. I, I kind of wish I was. So I could, you know, work more easily in America. I'm not. But um, like on, I think we we're talking about like the the China tech thing. Like that's a hot topic right now. Like the Huawei. Oh yeah. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but like even so, like it's almost hard for me in, in even in America on the flip side to be openly supportive of China mm-hmm. because the in the American media, China is portrayed as like a very hostile nation. So like I would like to help China, even though they probably don't need my help. But like you're also like stuck in a in between a rock and a hard place because yeah, yeah, of definitely. the way your country is viewed. Yeah, so yeah. there's just so many implications of of being in very awkward situations. You're you're neither a native here nor there. Yeah. Yep. Free the Huawei princess. Free Justin, the Huawei princess. Justin Trudeau, free the Huawei princess. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think this, this this honestly this sort of this feeling of not being invited into a group that. Like, first off, you're not really like it's it goes without saying, but it's like, obviously, you know, we're all people of color. Like, it's it's noticeable. Like, immediately, we're not like completely accepted into society here in America, but uh, or Canada. But I mean, um, but, 
yeah, I mean, you just kind of expect that, like, you, you know, you can sort of go back whenever. And it's just, it's not really the case. Like, even when I was trying to get, like, my visa going back to China, like, the last time, because I'm a Canadian citizen, China doesn't allow dual citizenship, I got to get a visa, even though I, you know, was born and lived in China for a very long time. And, like, even going through that process and, like, and and them being like, actually, we can't approve you for a 10-year visa. We can only give you three weeks because, you know, you work in a media-related job. And China's very, Whoa. like, yeah, China's very strict on, like, censorship, right? So they're like, yeah. oh, wow, he works in the media. So, like, we can't really keep him in the country long. And, like, even something like that, to, like, kind of feel that kind of, like, unwelcomeness. It's like, you know, maybe that's just specific to China because sort of, like, the, the way China operates politically. But, like, you know... Um, I don't know. It's just, it's just, it's hard to sort of accept that, like, you know, that is not fully your roots, but I guess yeah. this kind of is what it is, you know? You, well, that's the thing, right? Like, you, in one community, in one community, you're, you're, you have no, you don't have privilege. Yeah. Like, you're a minority. And then in the other community, you are the, one of the most privileged people. Exactly. So yeah. you have to acknowledge it. Yeah. And so you, like, you do have to switch the way you approach things mm-hmm. in either community. So it's tough. Like, I know the one thing. Like talking with Minia was just talking about uh, one of my cousins. He moved like he's two years older than me. My first cousin. He moved over here. They immigrated to New Jersey, and like we met up at a family wedding thing. It was like a two week long wedding. And as soon as I land, he came to pick me up, like with my dad. And um, he met him. And as soon as I met him, I was like, hey, like I hadn't seen him for like six years. Mm-hmm. Like we hadn't really talked at all. But like I meet people. I'm very I'm a very amiable person. Like when I meet people, I just act like we've been friends forever. Yeah. yeah. So I was like straight up totally calm with him just talking to him great and he told me i think a week into it he was like hey you know what's weird like when we were waiting for you to come out i was kind of worried and i'm like why are you worried he's like i just i assumed you were born raised here so you're just gonna be very stuck up and you're just gonna be like kind of like too too cool for school to talk to us Mm -hmm. and i was like damn (laughs) (laughs) that's that's wild yeah i'm like i get it i guess that makes sense yeah so yeah that's it there's no real greater point (laughs) <laughs> all right um okay i think to end the show we can take some twitter questions there were a couple that actually came in that i think are pretty good touch points so we'll, we'll go from there um first one from karn sharma any memorable experience with your middle school lunches oh yeah i feel like uh I, you know I, I, just speaking personally as like an asian person like you know like relative to other people of color like we just experience like relatively less discrimination or at least like different forms of experimentation so like it, whenever it's like this like lunchbox question gets brought up i'm almost like uh that is true because that is like a large part of like the experience like the direct kind of uh, discrimination you feel as in, in, in asia as an asian person it's like oh wow you brought some like strange tofu and people are like wow i can't believe you're eating like bean curd um but like you know relative to other people that's actually not so, so bad in terms of as an experience so i always feel sort of marginal but um yeah i don't know what about what about, i just i felt like i needed to get that out there but mm-hmm. um i didn't did you guys have really any weird lunch lunchbox uh, moments in a sense because like the way our family did it we like i we'd have a big lunch when i could come home from school so i get packed really small lunches basically okay my lunches though would be like incredibly mi- minimal like most of my lunches up till grade five were just like a piece like it would be like a sandwich made of like white bread butter and sprinkled sugar Yo, that was a sandwich i gotta put that this was up there. straight up the entire sandwich immigrant Damn. parents don't know how to make sandwiches like <laughs> you, <laughs> they, you got some of the brightest people in the world coming to canada but they have no idea how to make no a, sandwich. To do a sandwich so that was, that was usually my lunch was that it was like two pieces of bread butter on the bread and yeah. then sprinkled sugar man and that was a sandwich yeah. that'd be like the sugar sandwich i get 
uh, and then like some like no name brand fruit snacks. That was my entire lunch. But I do remember because my buddy Joel, he would come and he'd always have the coolest like um like yeah, what are they called? Like, I don't know if the thermoses or whatever with like five different compartments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he'd always have like the coolest food. So I'd always like, have Yeah, and he just like and I'm like, oh man. And he's like, what, what are you eating today? He's like, oh man, I got chicken heart. I'm like, Dope. yo. This man's bringing chicken heart to school. That's brave. That's next level. That's brave. Wow. That's pretty cool. And I'm like, all right, true. So that was like my experience with like, I personally never really cared. I never got it myself because I never had a lunch. This man came to school with a thermos full of chicken hearts. (laughs) Oh my God. Damn. He's dope. Last time I got him for $2.99 at the nearby oceans. Oh my gosh. Sunny supermarket. Yeah. Um, I I think I saw you went to a pretty diverse school too right yeah oh my entire life more or less once yeah. i moved yeah. here so it's probably not as bad right mm-hmm. oh not at all yeah 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 my middle school was like eh. like my high school is very white but i don't think i ever I remember in elementary school like the cafeteria lady was like i had mooncakes for lunch one day because uh-huh. it was like near that time yeah of uh lunar, time. what was it was that jones i don't know what it's called in english sorry it's um but yeah. autumn festival chinese sorry. thanksgiving yeah yeah, Chinese Thanksgiving, and she's like, "You can't bring that for lunch. That's not a lunch." And I like didn't wow. eat lunch because she didn't allow me to. That's really hey, like, it's not. It is not a lunch though. That is. Come it on. is not. <laughs> That's not a lunch. That's a dessert. Egg yolks in it. There's ones with egg yolks in it. Okay. Just That's to the clarify. Best, the best. One. That's also like a thousand calories. So yeah. don't eat it. Like, Yo, now. what, what <laughs> are, are the those, most are those, dense thing possible? What are those custard buns called? Like those sweet I buns. Oh, uh, buns. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're just called buns. Oh, true. There, I, yeah. I don't know, but I remember when I used to work at like Superstore or something like a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, and I had to stand up front like wearing a Kudo t-shirt or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like they would have like those Chinese like it, they had these like Chinese buns which are just filled with custard. Yeah. And I would th- those would be my lunch every day. Yo, those are those are those, those, are, those are the most economical food possible. Buy a mile. I think it was like a dollar twenty five for four at the place I was at. Yeah, and it's like always Ooh. no tax, always. Yeah. <laughs> Like they'll never. Tra- if you get charged tax, you're getting hustled on a bun. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, like I went to like a. It was also a very diverse school, but it wasn't like very like Asian, and so like everyone was like of different backgrounds and stuff like that. And like, um, I don't know. Like I would bring food, and it'd be weird, and people would make fun of it, and and I'll be like, go home, and then I was like, you know what? I don't want to get Chinese food anymore. Like. I was kind of like a bastard to my my kid, my parents. Not gonna lie, and I was like, "Mom, I want you to make me like sandwiches." And then like her version of a sandwich, because like she didn't really understand. Like she thought a sandwich was a hamburger, but like she didn't also want to buy a hamburger. So like it's, like there was no burger buns. It was like like just like you know uh, Dempsters like sliced bread, and then like instead of like a patty, like she just like okay. So in a Chinese butcher, right? You would go there and you would buy the slab of meat, and it's like way cheaper than where you where else like Food Basics or whatever. And then, like, like you would come in, but then, like, they won't do anything to it. So, like, you got to, like, cut it up yourself. So, my mom would just cut up this, like, half-inch thick, like, piece of pork and then just, like, throw it in the oven. And she was like, I don't know how to make hamburgers. I don't see them seasoning it. So, like, it was literally just, like, two pieces of sliced bread and this, like, sliced pork. And I would never eat it. And I just, and I would literally, like, rather, like, you know, hustle kids at school for money, for lunch money. Just be like, yo, let me hold, like, 60 cents. They'll just suddenly buy and just like and buy like whatever like they're selling like samosas chili or whatever and like that was somehow like better than just me eating chinese food or me even eating this like terrible sandwich that used to always go moldy in my bag but oh, i don't i felt God. like that was bad but then like 
I don't know, man. I, there's also one day where this kid Jones, I I don't know where in Africa came from, but he just he was I don't know. He just never asked him. But he literally showed up one time with a thermos and he sat down. He started eating, and like the whole thermos was filled with sugar, just like grain <laughs> sugar. And he just started eating spoonful. I was like, Yo, what are you doing? But uh, yeah, so that was probably worse than anything I ever went through was seeing Jones I, eat sugar. Yo, the one thing I did do at school was. Uh, and I was 100% getting ripped off on this deal. I knew, but to me, the value was much greater. Is I would trade my no-name fruit snacks to my buddy for his yeah. like packet of seaweed. Oh, that's oh, a good shit. deal. Yo, seaweed was lit. That was like yeah. that was the only time I could ever have seaweed. So I was like, yo, let's do it. <laughs> okay. I was, was trading. I was trading for seaweed and like the like like the what do you call the California rolls? Yeah. Like the, wow. Eh? All the time. So you're so you're telling okay. me your high school was basically the Silk Road. Basically, <laughs> that's what we did. <laughs> that's how it went. Wait, Dude, you the take your fruit snacks? For the seaweed, yes. For the sushi stuff, I think I had to do other stuff. Usually, oh, okay. you can get a piece off somebody for free. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, nice. begging people for food is an essential skill. For me, like with my buddies, they're like, yo, we'll give you a piece, but we get to determine how much wasabi goes on it. Oh. So they would just put a ton of wasabi uh, on it, and it's like, all right, so you just had to learn to like not put your tongue on the wasabi while you ate it mm. and you're good so damn that was, look at you look at look at the school you're going to man you're getting chicken hearts and wasabi like damn. <laughs> that's that's wild good times um okay another one from next one from our room what traditions that your parents instilled are you most proud of slash most likely to take with you going forward that's a good that's a great question good question great journalist um I I think um, the way that okay okay there's two things one is like the internalizing of expectations but not to like maybe not to the degree but I did that to myself but like I don't want my to have to like tell my kids to try hard in school I want them to do it for themselves yeah not do it for me and then two is um, my parents have this thing where they're not really into comparing me to other Asian kids which is a goddamn rarity in the asian parent i was community. gonna say yeah that is yeah <laughs> it's the worst they won't like show off like when i've done something and i find that very honorable and i'm like proud of yeah. that because they didn't you know stoop to, i don't want to say stoop to that level because i know why the other parents are doing it. it's like that is the output of their success and they want people to know about it but like i never felt compared to other kids and i think that was good for my my overall mental health because that really sucks Yeah, I, in terms of traditions, I don't know if these are like generally related to like immigrant struggle or anything like that, but just in terms of like my family, how we grew up, um, one of them I know in terms of like putting effort into your kids, Mm -hmm. like my parents put more effort into me than I think I've seen, like when I talk to other friends and whatnot, and like my mom was teaching me, like she would go out of her way to teach me math when Mm -hmm. I was like three or four. Like, I knew multiplication in kindergarten. I knew long division in kindergarten. Yeah. And we just doing it by hand. And it was 100% just, like, you know, parental effort where she would just sit down. She's like, all right, 30 minutes, we're going through this. And we just worked through it. And, like, she didn't speak English well, and yet she taught me French in grade three and four, just, like, going through word lists mm-hmm. and mispronouncing the hell out of French words and me having to correct it. And then that's how I learned. So it was, like, a lot of effort that she put in and my dad put in that, you know, like, I've seen like nowadays, like I'll see like some of my like older cousins, they'll have kids and like you don't see the same type of like that. I realized that that effort was them going like well and beyond mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to 
give me a shot, right? Because even like with my sisters, I don't see like like in my youngest sister, like my parents are just old, so they just don't have enough effort to give, and they don't have enough time to do it. So like I have to pick up there and try to force the issue. Mm. But that was one thing where I'm like, all right, in terms of putting effort into like your kids, like that's something that like, of course every parent does, I'm yeah. sure to what extent, but just like keeping that the main thing. And then the other thing was just like in our household at least, and now I know that it's. Like when I see people from my community and I talk to people and now I talk to people that are outside of just like my family friend base or even within that, to be honest, just like the lack of importance my parents put on wealth, yeah, which is such like it was like I realize now it was such like that's just not common. Like basically they told me that like money has no matter like all these like basically growing us up without having this like Mm -hmm. want or need for like material possession. So like. I grew up and like I don't I like I have no nothing in me makes me want to strive to be like wealthy as a form of success like it would be great yes like you want to earn as much money as you can with the advantages you have but that's not how I view success in my head like I know like if I put in as much effort as I can and I do it in a smart way Mm -hmm. whatever outcome comes from that I can't really control it outside of my inputs yeah so like I can't measure myself in terms of wealth by that and that's something which is just like like it really frees you from like a lot of like just like f- like from a mental like standpoint where I'm just like I don't need to view myself in terms of dollars and cents. So I don't need like I'm not. Yeah. My value is not tied to how much money I make. My value is not tied to the possessions I own and just not to like basically like the harder point is like now it's the reverse is a struggle for me where I have trouble attaining any joy from like things I buy. I'm like I buy something. I'm just like. And I feel joy from it. I'm like, is this joy because like it's I feel like this thing's adding value to me by owning it? Or is it just like, oh, I like the functionality of this is important to me, right? Yeah. So where like anytime now where I feel like I'm like, oh, I wanna I want that. And if the only reason I want that is because I feel like like it's just this like made up value that I'm attributing to it, then I have to question myself whether it's worth it. So it makes it hard to like want a really nice car or a really big house and stuff like that, which it, which in to, like society is difficult because a lot of your goals are like normal yeah, goals yeah. are based on that. Yeah. But I still think like, that's the worldview that you should have, right? Because it gives you more like it I, just, I agree. It, it, it breeds mm-hmm. generosity in you. Yeah, so, for like, sure. Like my parents always went the extra way to just help people out like in our community for no reason. And like just out of the goodness of their hearts. So, like for me, like a lot of times like people like I like I, like it's little things but like if i see somebody just walking like i'll just give them a drive i'll give them a ride somewhere like if you're if you're, if you're my friend i have a car yeah i will drive somewhere yeah mm-hmm. i don't have an issue like even if your house is out of the way i'm gonna drop you off like forget it why not yeah and it was never an issue for me and those are like tiny acts really tiny acts right right but just like to breed that type of generosity into your kids and just like mm-hmm. that understanding of community yeah that like no one person is really better than anybody mm-hmm. so it's kind of stupid to have that type of mentality like that's kind of what you want to pass down yeah for sure mm-hmm. i think a lot of that is sort of like um eastern thinking versus western thinking and it's just like um i just think eastern just tends to be more collectivist and i think that's that's really the thing i mean i don't know it's like in terms of like what arun asked like what traditions your parents and stuff like i mean i don't know like most of the traditions are not like family traditions they're like cultural traditions right and so like we'll keep doing that i mean like i don't know what traditions i mean big two don't teach my kids how to play big two. <laughs> for sure yeah mahjong for sure 
How to make good ramen, good instant ramen. How to make, yeah, that's right, yeah. Don't, I swear to God, if I see them pour just hot water into the instant ramen, I'm going to, they're going to have to get disciplined in some way, but. uh, That's it, yes, my kids need to know how to make tea. Like, I need need good chai. Like, I'm starting to start drinking chai more now, Mm -hmm. but. Don't you mean chai tea? Dog, I'm going to (laughs) slap (laughs) you. No, but my parents had me making chai when I was like nine years old, ten years old. Yeah. It's like, hey, yeah, boiling water, go ahead. Yeah. safe. Yeah, well, so, oh, yo, bro, no, no, listen, immigrant <laughs> parents trust you, they trust a lot of responsibility early, like, like, oh, yeah, learning how to cook, like, just cooking, like, everything, man, just being home alone, like, at, like, age seven, oh, <laughs> no, seven, yo, no, my parents were immediately like, all right, listen, we got to get jobs for you, you're staying home, you got to cook this, and I'm like, yeah, no problem, I got it, I make, make rice from a very early age, you know, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's, there's nothing too specific. It's sort of more like a general philosophy of sort of how to approach life. But uh, Arun had a follow-up question for Minia. Hey, what would it take for Oscar Keithbloom to come to the Leafs? Sorry about Clefbaum. the Oilers. Clefbaum. Clefbaum. Okay, for context, Oscar Clefbaum is probably our best defender. When he was injured, our GM made a bunch of terrible, horrible knee-jerk moves, and he got fired like two weeks after that. Mm. He's also the most handsome probably guy on the team. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. Just an objective opinion um, okay. that is by lots of eyes. I guess you can Google him. Look him up. Oh, I think, I'm looking I think, him up now. Well, was it you who looked at him and you said he looks very, like, hashtag all lives matter? Uh, I don't know if that was me, but I'm going to look at him again and confirm whether or not. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> I mean, he could be. Well, he is very handsome. Wow. Yeah, he yeah, is. Wow, so he's... because of that, I'm going to say, Arun, I'm going to need your your whole team, probably, including Austin Matthews, because wow. just, like, functionally, we can't survive without him. But he would also, like, not having him would decrease the average handsomeness of my team by so much. And that's really the only thing we have going on right now. So, yeah, you got to give us Austin Matthews, at least, which I know isn't happening. Wow, he is. Yeah, he, this man is very classically handsome. Yeah. Damn. Like, six-pack, eight-pack, I think. Like I mean, uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yo, just a total side note. Are there certain athletes that you like when you watch on TV, you just immediately like feel bad about yourself? Oh, yeah, Serge so every day. Different? Yeah, dog. Every time I not even Serge. Serge is fine. Like I'm like because Serge kind of looks like he's creaky. But every <laughs> I, I'll be honest, I love Kawhi. But my God, every time I see him, I'm like, man, I gotta go work out. Oh, his arms are like he's so yeah, he's so in shape. Yeah, his he shoulders is have shoulders. In shape. His shoulders have shoulders. Yeah. Man, there's when like, you see, there's when like, you see, like concave, concave, or whatever, convex. Like, mm-hmm. It's like it's him and LeBron. Those two guys. Like every time I see them, I'm like, man, I gotta go work out. This this isn't this isn't cutting it. Yeah. Especially because like Kawhi's like what 27. I'm like, yeah. man, I don't even have an excuse other than not being rich. Okay. Well, I mean, to be fair, he is professionally paid to be yes. fit. In perfect shape, but also it's just like, man. Yeah. No, Kawhi yeah, is not Delon. Very good shape. Delon? No, Delon has a pigeon <laughs> chest. Dude, Delon, Delon <laughs> has such a large chest. He looks like <laughs> he looks like he looks like a widescreen TV. Like the ones that have the concave back throughout, that's what his chest looks like on the side. Yeah, when they watch game tape, they're just projected on his body. <laughs> Here's what you do against James Harden. <laughs> Yo, Delon, turn your body a little bit. Uh, That's what you're putting out that day, man. They're smacking the lot on the head because the, 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 the signal's not working. <laughs> oh, Turn it on. Just adjusting uh, his braces to get better reception. Oh, come on. He hasn't had braces in years. Oh, <laughs> uh, the line. So much 
Lander? Is his chest that wide? Really? He's, he's got a he's got a pigeon chest. Yeah, definitely. He looks like a bionicle. He's built like a bionicle. He definitely is built no like a bionicle plus the armor. <laughs> oh man! All right, so not the one. Yeah. No. Yeah, like he, he definitely can't sleep on his on his face. OG. What about OG? Yeah, OG too. Yeah. Yeah, he's pretty well built. Yeah. On the flip side, though, Greg Monroe makes me feel very comfortable. Yo, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Greg. Oh, let's not talk about Monroe. It's so sad. He's twenty nine, apparently. Yo, he, no, he's going to play with. Uh, he's playing with the Xinjiang Flying Tigers next year, buddy. Enjoy, Romachi. Who's that? Kufos. Oh no, that's Dan Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. All right. Can't you, even comment. Actually, yo, did you see that video? You of, throw uh, a beret on Costa Cufos, and that's uh, that Lamelo Ball high school video where he's being guarded by the kid with like his airlines like behind his head. No, come on. <laughs> it's high school. Yeah, that's wild. That's that's all. That's dead. I want to see that. Oh too. wow. All yeah, right. Ball sucks. Anyways, we got three more questions. All one right. from next one from Iman. Biggest culture shock, or at least uh, first memory of culture shock being in a new country. Yeah. For me, it was the airport, man. Seeing, like, not Asian people was wild. I'm like, what? I didn't... I knew people <laughs> who looked like this, but I'd never seen one. Every single person was like, what? Yeah. His hair is yellow. His hair yeah. is curly. It's like, it's wild. <laughs> Everybody was like, I don't know. <laughs> I can imagine that, but I have a flip. It's like when I went to Pakistan, and I remember we were just like driving like through a market or whatever, and I saw a white lady, and I just like screamed. I was like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. Where did she come from? <laughs> and everyone was like, "What's going on?" I'm like, "Look, what are you doing here?" <laughs> what? <What'd you do? laughs> I was just in shock. No, but for but real, no, we here, come from very homogenized backgrounds. Yeah. <laughs> but not here. When I was here, I think it was when I first moved here. I think it was like grade three or four. And I was on the bus, and some new kid who had just joined, everyone was picking on him. So he turns around, and he sees me, and he's like, well, and he was, like, really upset because everyone making fun of him. And I wasn't saying nothing. And he was mm-hmm. like, well, well, you're brown because you're from the jungle. And everybody just starts <laughs> yelling at him, right? Wow. And, I, and, like, for me, I'm like, like, I've heard so much worse. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, for me, it didn't even phase me, right? Yeah. That's what about my day. Other kids told the teacher. The teacher comes to me, like, a week later, and she's, like, so upset. She's so visibly upset. She's like, this should like, never happen to you in Canada. This should never happen. Like, why? Why? Why didn't you say something about this? Were you worried? I'm like, honestly, I didn't think it was that racist. I You're like, no, but no, but cross cultural like banter, re- like it happens. It, it just yeah. really happens. It's completely different, like where it's coming from. You know what I mean? But that was my culture shock, where it's coming from a very, very, very like openly racist place to not yeah. so much, where yeah. it was more hidden. Where I was like, oh, you're people aren't allowed to say that stuff about me. Yeah. I had no idea. That is wild. Asians low-key, like, so racist. Oh, definitely. Like, oh, yeah. No, well, it's not I, even low-key anymore. I, I think, the thing is, like, yo, outside I of, like, a, like, a handful of countries in the world, like, almost all of them are very homogenous, like. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So, like, it's built in. Like, it's gonna, like, it 100% exists in everyone's communities. Yeah. So. Yeah. Like, even just being on vacation, the amount of, like, me house you get. I mean, Sure, it's fine. They're being friendly. I remember I was in Colombia, um, like the South American country, and this yeah. one dude was literally shouting at my friend and I, like, Nihao, like, arigato. 
안녕하세요. Like literally shouting everyone until we would like nod and acknowledge him, mm-hmm. like that it's one of them, and like it was absurd. Um, but yeah, my culture. I think I didn't really have it because I came at such an early age. I had like reverse culture shock going back oh, home okay. to China. Yeah, where. Um, people would like tell me just like anecdotes about like how my my dad's former coworker got her house broken into, mm-hmm. and they were like gagged, and were, like uh, kids the getting black car, the black cab. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like I was so scared that I was gonna get child trafficked. <laughs> that like honestly, like this stuck with me till I was like seventeen or eighteen. I, every time I went to China, like when I would be leaving my house in Canada, I'm like, this is the last time I'll be seeing you. Goodbye. Wow. Um, <laughs> And I'd be like always looking behind um, in the cab to see if there was a car following us because I was like very pale skin. I'm like that's probably highly valued in the Chinese child com- like market. <laughs> <laughs> I literally was so paranoid because of those stories. And literally one night we were staying at my uncle's place, and some dude literally did crawl in the window and what? like try to come in. But my my uncle woke up, and like to me that just affirmed all my beliefs that they were trying to. Like wow. capture me to sell me. So um, that was my reverse culture shock is believing that like China is like horribly unsafe, but it's Yo, actually that, that is so real. That is so real yeah. because like me when I went back last in 2011, right? I'm like 18, 19, right? Yeah. Yeah. And like uh, like I'd heard and like my family lives in Karachi, which is like one of the most dangerous places in the world. Like you can search it up. Mm-hmm. That's what they call it. Okay. Anyways, so my my cousins like I had already heard stories of like my cousins. They had been like basically like, like had their been kidnapped and had their car stolen left in a random like apartment complex like multiple times a lot of crime that happens right yeah that was happening at the time because there was a lot of unrest it had kind of calmed down and we were going back and i was so goddamn scared you have no idea so i went and i i was packing clothes for the trip my mom was like why aren't you packing like your other clothes i'm like no i need to wear stuff that is very muted so all (laughs) i i bought i went to walmart and i bought like gray polos like yeah yeah, yeah. like (laughs) Glenn. Like you know the episode of Timmy Turner, like of the of Fairly Odd Parents, where he asks everybody looks the same, <laughs> and they're all great. That was my that was my wardrobe. I'm like I'm just buying stuff that'll make me just so I was like, I bought like old school sandals. I w- bought like a cheap pair of shoes. Yeah, <laughs> zero flash, right? And I'm like crap. I have to take my laptop and my phone with me though. Yeah. So I'm like crap. I get out of like we land at the airport, and I'm just like. Single track mind. I'm like, I need to get into the car. As fast I need as to as survive. <laughs> so we step out. All the families there, right? And you know, it's like, hey, what's up? And I was like, hey, what's up? And I just bolt. I'm like, where's the car? I see the car. I bolt directly in the car. I'm like, I, I was wearing my backpack, um, like the opposite way, so the front was in front of me. Oh yeah, you can't let people <laughs> know that it's a Jansport. And I'm just hugging it, and I go directly into the car, and I sit down. And the thing is, like, you'd hear stories like, oh, they know when the flights are landing, so what they do is they like the, they just oh, wait. No. They just wait, and then they follow the cars as they leave, and then they mug you on the way back. Oh, my God. So the entire ride back, I'm kind of ducked away from the, like, the windows, and uh-huh. I'm just, like, holding my stuff real low not to show it. And then it also tells, like, oh, if you get stuck in traffic, what they'll do is they'll just, like, come up in motorcycles, and they'll just tap a gun on the... Oh, my God. On the, on the windows, right? Yeah. And they roll down, and you just ask your phone. So, like, I'm holding my phone really low and whatever, <laughs> just hiding it. I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And now we stop just fear. <laughs> wow. So, one, so then a couple... And I'm... I was terrified of this for at least two of those four weeks that I was there. And like the second or third week there, like we, my mom's like, oh, we have to go to this market, this clothing market. So we go there. And like, again, I'm, and my mom's like, we have to wear this shirt. And she gives me this like pink shirt, right? Mm. <laughs> and I'm terrified. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to stand out. This yeah. is going to be terrible. I'm walking around this pink shirt. And as I'm walking around, all I see is just everyone's looking at me, right? Yeah, of course. And I tell my mom, I'm like, look, they're all looking at me because I have the pink shirt. They know. She's like, 
no, you idiot. You're six foot four. Five foot six. They think you're a giant. They're like, there goes Hamada Daddy. Yeah, and then, and, then, and then that really like settled into me when like we're at like a subway. Yeah. And like it's I I like I'm just standing and I, I bump into a guy accidentally, right? Because I wasn't paying attention. Mm-hmm. And the guy turns around and like he looks like someone that would like beat the shit out of me or just steal me or something or like kidnap me, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And he just gets so apologetic. He sees me, he looks up, <laughs> just peer in his eyes, and he's like, sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> and then I calmed down. I was like, okay. I don't think anyone's gonna mess with me. I think I'm okay. No, yeah. Not you. Like yeah. it was so bad where I was like, oh, like I, like my uncle would just leave me at shops. He's like, oh yeah, you need something, just go in there get it. Mm. And I was like, what? They're gonna rip what? me off. Like so, I practiced not just speaking Urdu, but I started speaking it with like a northern dialect. Like, uh, like, <laughs> like yo, so this is so much effort, dialect, man. With a different accent, right? Because that way I could get away with being like grammatically incorrect at times. Oh, and like I was haggling, like no tomorrow was great. Like I was yeah. getting great deals. I was like. Yo, this works. But I was so terrified. Like, so terrified of dying. Dude, I, I, I'm so glad someone relates to this experience. Like, they told me that they would, like, if they see you with earrings in the subway, they'll cut your ear off so they can take the earrings. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> so scared. Was, like, if they see what pocket you're putting in, they'll just, like, come by with a razor and just cut the bottom of the pocket off. Or so your hand. Cut. Yeah. yeah. I'm just like, what the hell? Yeah. Damn. I've and I got worried because one time I was, we were at a Cineplex, like, and it was like one of the few Cineplexes that are in Karachi, and like they had a basketball machine there. And I was like, yo, I haven't played ball in ages. Let me just shoot up. So I'm just shooting like basketballs, and I'm like in the zone. So I'm just going crazy on these machines. And then I like I finished the game. It was like a two minute long game too. It was so long because I hit a bonus round. Mm-hmm. And I'm tired, and like I won a bonus game, and I'm like, man, I don't want to finish. I turned to the left, and all I see is like eight dudes that work there. Are yeah. just standing there, like applauding. <laughs> I'm like, what is going on? They probably thought and, you're in the NBA, bro. Yeah, I think one of the commentators was like, "Oh, are you fr- like a player?" I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'm just going up, and, and I'm like, "Yo, I'm too tired to play this bonus game." So I'm like, "Yo, you want to play?" And he's like, "Me? Me play? I'm like, yes, go, man. Just go play, please." <laughs> and they go, they start shooting baskets. Also, I think one time we went to the local um, recreation center there. Mm. Because, um, like, my aunt had a thing, a gym Khana or whatever, as people know. Which literally um, is gym and Khana. And Khana is food. Okay. So it's gym. literally the name of the place is gym food. Anyways, because <laughs> that's the two things they do. Okay. <laughs> so I go there and there's a basketball court. I'm like, all right, I'll go to the basketball court and just shoot a basketball around. I go there to shoot and there's like, they're playing a soccer game on the basketball court. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> so I, like, they're like, oh, we'll play on one side. You can just shoot. So I'm just shooting around. And after a while, I just hear the soccer game is stop. And I turn around. Like, I had headphones and I was in full sweat. I turn around and I just see it's like 20 kids just sitting there staring at me watching me just shoot oh, jump God. shots. Damn. And I'm like, man. God, this, you're I put a celebrity. Myself, you brought the I culture shock to them, huh? Yep, basically. Yeah. yeah. Damn. Yeah. All right. Two more questions. Uh, Marcelo asks, what's the biggest difference? Uh, your parents always talked about living in your home country as compared to Canada. Do they talk about it? I feel like they don't really vocalize it. They kind of just. I think it's. It. I think so much is different that they're like they only point out what's similar. Yep, exactly. Yeah. They'll be like, yeah. yeah, I don't know, but it's, it's just I don't know. I, th- I guess it's just really inherently different. Yeah, I mean, the only thing my parents ever said they just told me my school was so much easier than what they. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. The oh, that was like they yeah, will like, always make fun of school, man. Yeah. But I mean, like it's I think it's deserved almost. <laughs> 100%. Oh yeah. 
my parents are like what are we brought you here to do like what is this aside from learning english and like random like social like my parents would be like why are you guys learning about social studies you don't need this yeah. <laughs> why don't you learn about physics and i was like yo come on I'm, I'm in grade four like i should know about the history of canada They're like no you don't you don't need it my dad saw me working at our project once he's like why are you working this hard on this yeah why are you trying like and I and like one one of the report cards I got I knew like I had failed like two art projects so I just straight up didn't hand them in. I was too lazy, so I'm like, oh man. So I talked to him. I, like I was really sad. I go up to him and he's like on his like walk while he's smoking. And I'm like, hey, like my report card didn't come next week. All my grades are good. The only thing is I messed up art like 100. percent It's grade mm-hmm. eight art. I'm like I messed it up. He's like, how bad? I'm like, I think I'm gonna get like a 61 on it. He's like, oh, that's art. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what? Yeah, there is really no. They don't care about that stuff, man. They really don't. Uh-huh. They really care more about what you got in data management. Yeah. Um, 88 in science, that was a beating, but no, 61 art, that's fine. <laughs> when I told my mom I was majoring in psychology, that was probably the biggest letdown. Of oh, no. Mm-hmm. How could Better you? than comparative literature, though. Yeah. Um, all right, last one, then, from Taha. Pink feels underscore most embarrassing public moment with your parents in public. Mm. Think about this one. All right, I, I'll tell one in the meantime. Okay. Um. <clears throat> so my parents are um, atheists. Well, not even atheists. Probably more agnostic. It's probably they don't care about this stuff. They don't think about God. Whatever. Right. My dad is like dabbling <laughs> a little bit now in Buddhism and stuff like that. But it's like. It's because my grandma's really Buddhist and she's really, whatever, just not a much, a lot of religious influence. But we came into Canada and like within like first week, we like walked down the street and there was like a church and it was like Sunday. He's like, I was like, that's cool. And I she's like, I heard churches are free so we can just go in and look or look around. You know what I mean? So like, oh, okay, cool. So we like sat down for like one of their services and the, the communion came around and my mom was like, oh, they're giving us free food. This is great. So then like. <laughs> we all took some like like wafers or whatever the hell they're called, and then afterwards, like my mom was like, when the, like they moved down the row, my mom was like, "Can I have more?" And like she was asking for seconds <laughs> on the communion, and I was like, "Oh no, I know, I know this is wrong." I just in the back of mind, I'm like, "Nope, that, that can't." That I just know <laughs> that shouldn't be happening, but that's that's probably it. But there's like infinite moments. I think it happens all the time, but I just like you just grow more comfortable with it, you know. You, you like you stop feeling embarrassed. You're just kind of like this is adorable. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I feel like nothing really comes to mind except like we didn't know how certain foods worked. So there was like a yeah. like a KFC mismatch. There was KFC in China, and it's pretty pretty lit. Like I love the KFC in China. Why do we put and peas have, in the burgers? They put peanuts in the burgers. No, peas. Oh, peas. Yeah. Oh, they, they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I why? That. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> <But> why? <laughs> Just whole peas in a burger bun. <laughs> I think that's a really popular item, actually. I know. That's why it's so confusing. <laughs> anyway. um, so they have this really delicious, like, mashed potato. And then when we got here, they didn't – we were looking for it on the menu, but all they had was gravy. And, like, we had no idea what gravy was. Like, yeah. I didn't know something that you use as a dip. So I literally go to KFC all the time with my parents and just order gravy and, like, drink <laughs> <laughs> it. Like, and eat it like it was the same thing and then like they'd always be like just gravy and i'm like well yeah like i'm like why are you questioning me dude so for like probably the first 18 years of my life i was just ordering straight up gravy i don't That's even funny. know when i realized it was wrong but like i would still do it it's, it's delicious 
Gravy is much better than the mashed potatoes. So it is. I rate it. I, I love rate gravy. It. <laughs> oh, That's funny. Oh, son. No, 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 I think I think for me, I think when I was younger, mm-hmm. my biggest thing was like I would just get like I would like so for us like we have to eat halal, and like the one thing my parents would always do is like anytime we go to like a fast food restaurant. That would be the question they would ask. Like, oh, is this halal? Mm-hmm. Back then, there was not an understanding of what halal no. was, so it was always the same conversation. Where it'd just be like a confused person looking back, like, I I don't know what you're saying, right? And like, so they would always ask this question. And like for me, I was just like, I, as a kid, I would just kind of look away or kind of walk away in that moment. Yeah. I'm like, I already know the answer. No, like that's <laughs> whatever. But that like now though, like that's a question I ask like all the time. So I don't really. Yeah, like it doesn't matter. So I get that, but I think so. We're eating a dirty bird. Shut yeah, up. the most. Yeah, straight straight up. Yeah, that. But I think the uh, most embarrassing moment I can remember, and it has nothing to do with like immigrant parents. It just like has to do with my dad. I think it was we were at Waterloo for like um, orientation or whatever. Like, just like you know when you do the tours, mm-hmm. and like we're in like the big auditorium where all the parents are, and like they're like talking about the program or whatnot. And my dad's a type to crack jokes like publicly. So he was just like joking with the person talking, like from the audience. Like, <laughs> okay. And I'm just like, man, come on, dog. <laughs> and as we leave, like my buddy happened to also be, he's like, yo, man, that one guy was so funny. And I'm like, man, that's my dad. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like a proud moment, I feel like. A comedian heritage moment. Yeah. Straight up. Yeah. But God. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we could probably go on all day talking about this subject, to be honest. There could be a part two of this podcast, but I think that does it for what we have today. Um, thank you to both Minya and Asad for coming on the podcast. Minya, where can people find you uh, and your work? Um, they can find me on The Athletic and also for Vice Sports and also random promos you get on, on your Uber app. <laughs> Yo, can I have my $5 off again, please? For Uber Eats or for Uber? Uber. Oh, man. I literally have... This is, like, the number one question I get as, as an Uber employee. Yeah. You're just going to have to, like... Honestly, the answer is probably, like, taking some competitor rides, and then they'll pick up on that. I have no, no knowledge about how it works. Oh. Okay. Yeah. That's a good tip. It's like, it's like, yeah. I'll take, like, four lifts, and all of a sudden, it's, like, free Uber rides again. No, please don't take lifts. That'll, like, break my heart. Okay. Be a good friend. All right. All right. <laughs> Aside. Uh yeah, uh, you can find me at, at @swartlaces on Twitter. Um, also, like I don't know if you if you're starting a small business or you need some accounting help or tax help or you just have general questions, uh, feel free to reach out. I don't mind helping people out when I oh, have time. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. Um, I don't mind. It it helps me also just like yeah. get a sense of like in terms of building my experience as well. But I have a lot of knowledge which I realize now a lot of people don't. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy to share it mm-hmm. and happy to help in any way I can. Um, and I realize a lot of our circle is starting to get in this, that area where it's either you have your own small business or you're working self-employed yeah. or you're a contractor and you just have general questions, like small questions, even if it's just as simple as how do I file my tax return? Yeah. Uh, I don't mind doing some quick tips if you guys want to reach out on that. Um, on the flip side, uh, if you do choose to follow me on Twitter, best be known, uh, spam bot basically. You're yeah. going to see a lot of NBA stuff, so. Hot takes all the time. Hot oh, takes. yeah. Oh, hot yeah. Takes. Let's, 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 are we going to end with the hot take? No, I, I don't, I'm not going to oh, say that okay. personally. But right. honestly, I'll, I'll, I'll bring I'm, on the pod another time. But the West DeJohnson needs to 
be gone forever. Oh, I can't believe wow. I cannot believe we wasted prime Kyle Lowry. Wow. I'm so depressed. Wow. Wait, wait, I'm, did you I, call Delessa Johnson? Did you just call him that? What? Huh? That's not his name? Huh? Delessa Johnson. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh man. That is to be me. honest, to be honest, I also <laughs> tweeted something wild about Kawhi like <laughs> two nights ago after the game. Uh, about Kawhi? Yeah, I think uh, Iman called him Cornrow Cornrow DeRozan. Yo, that's rude. That's rude. She said it again on the podcast earlier, just right before I recorded this one. But yo, that is rude. And so, so well, not true. I doubled down and I called him. Uh, I called him uh, L.A. Wiggins. So, oh, bro, I will, I, I will fight you, man. Oh, man. <laughs> next time, matter, next time my dad plays Milton FC, I'm coming to your house. Dog, feel free. I'll, I'll, I'll even set up the table tennis. Yo. Uh, Yo. All right. All right. hundred percent. Reach. All right. All right. I did lose to a brown guy at the company uh, ping pong party. Yeah, you best know. But he went to the finals, so I don't, I don't feel so bad about it. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that does it for the podcast. Uh, you can follow the No Cap Show. Uh, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help. We're trying to um, expand and build it. And also follow it on Twitter at No Cap Pot. But uh, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll see you guys later. Go, go,